Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Toogie's Take podcast post-NHL trade deadline edition. For that matter, we are here today, of course, alongside Mr. Endo Mills. Endo, how are you feeling? I'm feeling better. Oh, was that Good. me or him? Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling better. Um, I'm tired. Sh- I'm, mm, I'm tired, but uh, just finished working a, a Zoom call uh, work session, so I'm all right. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Endo had a very uh, interesting weekend that we don't have to get into the details. Yeah, of, but you did put it out on Twitter, so I'm like, well, yeah, I had my own fucking uh, trade deadline kind of situation. Um, I, I, uh, what is it? I busted up my knee, uh, got a uh, contact tracing for COVID, and hopefully I didn't trade it for future considerations because yeah, it's been an interesting weekend for me. There I'm fine. Go. I'm all right. Yeah, don't worry about me. And today, of course, every Tuesday, we're pretty much in the uh, in the mindset here for the short term, maybe the long term even, with uh, Sin's availability. Every Tuesday, we kind of line up somebody here with us. We have seen the likes of Crash Andrews and, and Davos, good friends of the channel. Today, good friends of the show for that matter, and today, it's been a long time coming on this one. Current writer for the Las Vegas Sun, covering the Vegas Golden Knights, a longtime viewer and supporter of mine. I need to find out how that happened. Mr. Danny Webster joins the show. And Danny, what a 24 hours it's been for you covering the Vegas Golden Knights. Anything interesting happened? Uh, you know what? It, it was good until about 11.05 and then uh, shit started hitting the fan. Other than that, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. Yeah, just a nice, calm day of looking at trades and not wondering if they're actually going to go through or not. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, you know, I mean, it it was funny because at around 9 o'clock, I I asked around. I was like, is anything happening today? And someone got back to me and they they said in the words, and I quote, not a clue. (laughs) Not a clue was literally the only thing I got coming back to me. And I was like, this is going to be a very long day. And it turned out that by the time we uh, got to 11.05 or somewhere around there, picked up a little bit. Just just a little bit. (laughs) It was the longest day. Good Lord have mercy. It was was crazy. God. So on today's show, we are going to go ahead and talk about everything that happened surrounding the NHL trade deadline. So a busy, busy podcast here that we'll pretty much get right into. Although, first and foremost, again, a friendly reminder, this show brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. You can use code Tookie at checkout for 20% off your order and free worldwide shipping when you use the code Tookie at Manscaped. Get the best tools for the job. Take care of yourself. Treat yourself right and uh, I don't know about you, but I got a little bit of a gift in the mail Ooh. over the weekend from our lovely friends at Manscaped. It's it's a good time. They got their new body spray, the hydrating body spray. Take care of your skin. Smell good. Smell great. It's what you want to do. The shampoo and the conditioner, which is amazing. Remember, right rinse, <laughs> rinse, lather, repeat. <laughs> it's important. They say that for a reason, and don't be a smartass and say how many times... Just rinse, lather, and repeat. And, Endo, the piece de resistance of the new products here, their new deodorant. It's yes. circular. It's so circular good. deodorant. It's we spherical. are in the future, everybody. The future is now. Code Tugi at manscaped.com. 20% off your order. Free worldwide shipping. Thank you to Manscaped. We love you. I feel so left <laughs> out now. I have to get my own now. 
Use I promo will, code Tugi. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you oh. go. I have, I have extras I can send you as a thank you for being on the show. Hey, I'll, I'll take it. There you go. They, they've sent me some stuff along the uh, <laughs> along the course of their partnership with this show. Uh, so, Danny, like I said, before we get into kind of talking about the trades from around the league, first and foremost, a writer for the Vegas uh, for the Vegas Sun mm-hmm. covering an NHL team. Mm-hmm. How did how how did that happen for you? I'm intrigued to know the story. I've never gotten to hear it. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much I wanted to do sports journalism for a very long time. And it dawned upon me that when I knew I wasn't gonna be athletic under any circumstances whatsoever, I was like, you know what, I'll do the next best thing. And I initially wanted to do broadcast and things like that. And when you graduate and you born and you're born and raised in Las Vegas, there's literally nothing here. And I spent most of my life wondering, am I going to see any professional sports in my lifetime in this city? And as it turns out, when I was working for the Review Journal, uh, there was this whole situation of this hockey team coming to Las Vegas, and I was like, okay, I'm going to. Uh, take a chance and see what I can, how I can get involved in covering this team. And the first thing that uh, popped up was an opening for the SB Nation site for the soon-to-be-named Vegas Golden Knights website. And I applied to that, and I got the job. And the people at the Review Journal, the newspaper here, was like, well, you can't really do that and do this at the same time, so you kind of have to leave. I was like, okay, <laughs> I will leave. And that turned into uh, about four months later, I got hired by NHL.com to mm. do uh, their correspondence work in Las Vegas for the next four and a half years. And then back in February, uh, the job opened up to cover the team that I have been fortunate enough to cover for the last four years in a full-time role because I was doing freelance for the first four years. And here we are. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you also get a decent amount of travel time covering the team. This was actually my last, the last uh, East Coast road trip was my first time traveling uh, hmm. for, with, uh, to cover the team. Uh, the only other times I went were D.C. for games three and four of the final, which I paid on my own dime, and uh, San Jose games one and two uh, before the debacle that was either a major or not a major uh, in game seven. Uh, God, why couldn't Sin be here? Uh, right now? now, I mean, I don't have any rooting interest in this team, but I will tell you that working freelance for four years, the only reason why you cheer for the team you cover is because you get more work later on. Hmm. And that was the only reason why I was so pissed that everything transpired in game seven. That was the only reason why. But yeah, I was in Buffalo uh, for Jack Eichel's uh, return. That was fun, and I was in I was in Philadelphia for whatever reason. Um, probably the last time I'll ever go to Philadelphia. Um, oh, that's what I was hoping for. There we go. Good shots fired. Good shots. You know, it has nothing to do with the city of Philadelphia. It's just the airport and the situation. I, I mentioned it on your on your stream that night. It was just. Uh, that hey, you were a, stuck in the airport, if I'm not mistaken. I was stuck in the airport. The fuel latch was busted and uh, did not get out until. 8.55 Eastern time the next morning. So it was a uh, it was an experience I do not want to revisit for sure. <laughs> now, in terms of, again, like it's one of those things where 
I, I look at some of the, like, as a as a streamer, as a YouTuber, I look at one of the things, and it's like, oh, hey, like, this person does this, and I'm like, that's why are they watching me? I'd rather hear from them in terms of how they do what they're, in terms of how they do what they do. So what is it about someone who rants and raves about player overalls in NHL <laughs> that makes you go, that's a guy I'm going to watch so, while I'm also writing for NHL.com? So I was hoping you would actually bring this up because the, 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 it's a funny story. So back in year one, um, on top of what I was doing with NHL.com, I was working for a social media tech startup uh, as an overnight job. And that was my job to where I can work 40 hours a week and get benefits and all of that stuff. And that's how you know, I was able to maintain a steady income in, in the event that you know the season would end, this and the other thing. And one night in September, uh, right before I went to work, uh, the Golden Knights made a decent little trade for Max Pacioretty. And the funny thing was is that the trade was made after the Golden Knights rookie tournament. So I wasn't even there that night because I had to get up and go to work that night. And I was just scouring the internet one night and I was trying to see like, oh, if there was any reaction to the Pacioretty trade just so I can kind of gauge what that happened. And I can't, and I was on YouTube and I typed in Pacioretty Golden Knights and the first thing that showed up was your Golden Knights franchise on NHL 19. And it was, it was around the time where it was like, do I think it was you wanted to go for Pacioretty to kind of make it a little bit more realistic or whatnot. And I was like, not only was your content entertaining, it was about an hour long, so I would watch videos and it would get me through my night shift. So it was like, it was just that kind of situation where it was like, Killing time, entertaining, and informative. And I've and I've always been interested in the franchise style of gaming because you never really you always see it for NBA and Madden and things like that. I rarely saw NHL. So when yours popped up, I was like, this is entertaining. I'm gonna watch it. And that's how it happened. <laughs> I have never felt more confident about one, my search engine optimization. <laughs> <laughs> and two, suck at everybody who says to cut out stuff out of the videos. No, there's a purpose. There is a purpose. I always, knew, I always knew I was justified in just being like, hey, here's everything. Skip through what you want to skip through. But for those who want to see the process of how uh, annoying it could be to trade with the AI, here's me banging my head against oh the wall God. for 20 minutes. Have fun. And it, it was just fun and just watching you go for the, the Clawson trade and all that stuff. I was like, shit, it's fun. Like, it, it seems annoying, but it looks fun as hell. And I was like, sold. So there you go. <laughs> for, anybody the, uh, for anybody getting into the content creation side of things, you never know who's watching. I think that's the best way to put it. So maybe don't swear like I do on stream. That might cost you some opportunities. But I do. Do swear like you do on stream. Look where you are oh. now. You're pretty successful. You know, that's fair. We, we have gotten this far. Uh you know, I feel despite like just stroking your ego at this point, like entirely, <laughs> like hundred percent, like yeah, I, you're the guy. I you're the need man. you're the namesake I... of this podcast. Like, <laughs> fucking just keep going, huh? Yeah. I need uh, a great. bit of a pick me up. Yesterday was a rough day for this Bruins fan, 
as we will definitely uh, get into. But Danny, I could sit here and ask you questions all day long because I think it's incredibly interesting what you do. And it's kind of honestly like a career path I looked at. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's necessarily for me. So I always find it interesting to talk to people who did go that direction. Mm. But as mentioned, uh, we have a lot to talk about. From the deadline, and I was tempted to go in alphabetical order, but again, you cover the Vegas Golden Knights, and the biggest story in hockey right now has to be surrounding the Golden Knights and what they've done around the deadline. So, uh, pushing to the side, the signing of Isaiah Saville, uh, the only real move that they no, did... No disrespect or, to the mayor of Saville. That, that's, uh, oh, that's what that's they call him in beautiful. Omaha. That, that was good. Oh, that's beautiful. I didn't know that, actually. <laughs> that's fantastic. Whether or not Evgeny Dadnoff or Dadonoff, call him what you will, it depends on whether or not you grew up watching uh, 2BC Productions on YouTube, whether or not he's actually been traded uh, to the Anaheim Ducks is the biggest question, and we're kind of hoping, and we talked about this before we started recording, to bring this up now, and hopefully by the end of the show, we finally get the official word. Uh, on deadline day, the Golden Knights attempted to trade Evgeny Dadnoff and his $5 million cap hit to the Anaheim Ducks alongside a 2024 conditional second rounder in exchange for Ryan Kessler's LTIR hit and John Moore, who uh, has bounced around a little bit in the last couple of days. And this trade looked like it was ready to go. No problem. It goes through. And then the news breaks a few hours later he he might have had a no-trade clause. He did have a no-trade clause. Anaheim was on that no-trade clause. Did Vegas know? Did Ottawa let them know? Please explain to me <laughs> how this story went from your perspective, because you have to write about this, whereas I'm just like, well, do I move him to Anaheim in NHL 22 or not? That's yeah. how I'm affected. How are you affected by this trade that may or may not be? Yeah, so I'll kind of give you a timeline of, from my perspective, what happened. And it started at around about 9 o'clock Pacific time. I was poking around and I was talking to a source and I asked him, because I, I think the overall consensus of what, the Golden Knights were expected to do was shed salary, try and recoup some assets if they could. It was just a matter of who they were going to do it. Was it going to be Evgeny Dodonov or really Riley Smith, one of the two? So I asked the source, I asked him, you know, is there anything going on? Is, is there anything like earth shattering, not earth shattering, but anything close that would be like, oh, this would be important? The three words that I got, and I quote, not a clue. And I felt like that set the tone for the rest of the day because I have no idea what in the world transpired between 9 a.m. of when I got that text to 11.05 when I got another confirmation that the Golden Knights were looking to move of getting to Donov before the deadline. There was a period of time leading up to about 11.35, 11.40 that there might be a situation where the Golden Knights could move to Donov to the Ducks for Ricard Raquel. Now, obviously, that would have required much more for Vegas to give up in terms of maybe another prospect, a pick, whatever. But then there was starting to be the rumblings after Pittsburgh got him that Anaheim would just say, hey, we'll take him off. You just have to take such and such, and it probably wouldn't have been much of a deal. And then Pittsburgh makes a trade, and then at around 12.05, I'm like, 
is it happening? What's going on? What are we doing? I'm trying to talk to as many people as I can. I got nothing. Crickets for hours on end, nothing. And then Yarmo Kekalainen was quoted as saying there were 33 trades in the queue at Central Registry at around 1245. And I'm like, well, we're going to be here for quite a while. We might as well go get lunch or something. We got some time to kill. And then Kelly McCrimmon was supposed to talk at the practice facility at 2.30. So I was able to you know, do what I had to do. I, I drove to the practice facility and there's still no official word on the trade. And me and my colleagues are looking around like, what in the world is going on? And then one of the Golden Knights PR representatives comes out and like, hey, Kelly's going to be delayed a little bit. You guys are welcome to go out. We'll let you know. If not, you want to hang tight. We should be here shortly. Well, that turned from 2.30 to 3.15. 3.15 to about 3.45. About 3.55, I, I want to make sure I credit the person who had it first. I believe it was David Pagnotta who said, that who started the rumblings that there was a possibility that Anaheim was on Dodonov's no trade list, and that is where the holdup is. And the first thing that comes to my mind, because of course we don't know all the answers, is like, how did this happen? And how did we get to this point where we are three and a half hours past this deadline? The Golden Knights are about to take warm-ups in about 45 minutes in Minnesota. And we don't even know if, if, if uh, Evgeny Dodonov is going to play. We don't know if he's going to be in Anaheim. We don't know if he's stuck at the hotel. We, we have absolutely no idea. And then finally, at around 4.15, the trade is made official. The Ducks put it out first. They put the release out. So we go in and talk to Kelly McCrimmon. And then they go on play the game as as is, and Vegas obviously loses to Minnesota. After the second period, the Golden Knights put out a tweet saying that we understand that there is some complications involving the trade. Uh, we will we are in coordination with the league office. We will provide an update when available. To which, at that point, I said I needed a drink because there there was absolutely no way. This could possibly happen. And then we start to see more information lead in. And, and of course, uh, Elliot Friedman tweeted out yesterday that it is now in dispute uh, with the NHL and the NHLPA. And as of this moment, I don't know if, if Evgeny Dodonov is still in Minnesota. I don't know if he's in Anaheim. I don't even know if he's back in Vegas. I, we don't know where he is. The Golden Knights, are, at the time we're talking, are about to play another game in about three and a half hours in Winnipeg. I highly doubt he is with them there. And as of now, we still have no idea. And it, that's where we are. Hey, Tuglis, you, if you're speaking, you're I think, muted. Oh, well, cool. That's great. There we go. That's what happened. That's the first time I've forgotten to unmute my mic in a long time, for you guys at least. It would pop up on my audio. Yeah. See, that's the key. <clears throat> See, Endo, here, here's the thing. You sit there and hype me up, and then I make a mistake like that. You put the pressure on. I got to pass the buck here. You put the pressure on me. Talk me up too high. 
make a simple mistake. I think in regards to this whole situation, the shocking thing, right, is that you have, in this day and age, a miscommunication over a no-trade clause, Mm -hmm. which to most people will not make sense given that for over a decade now, we have lived in the era of Cap Geek, General Fanager, and Cap Friendly, where aside from knowing who is on these no-trade clauses, the player's list, we know everything else. So I think that's what a lot of people, are, myself included, are having trouble wrapping our heads around. How does an oversight like this happen? And I think any sympathy in regards to it is out the window because it's Ottawa's front office who have taken their fair share of criticism over the past decade. And it's Vegas who certainly have had a history of, in public opinion, not doing themselves any favors when it comes to how they handle players and... It's um, it's a mess. <laughs> it is a mess. Um, and I think that's where the whole thing lies now because based on what Elliot Friedman reported today, it looks like that Dodonov sent his no-trade list to Ottawa on June 30th, in which the deadline, I believe, is July 1st. And I spent a lot of time yesterday reading into the transition rules from the NHLPA, trying to figure out, is was there a deadline or was it amended to the first day of the league year, which was last year, July 28th? And I think I probably read too much into that. Um, so who knows if there was actually a deadline? I looked on this year's rules and you can see that it needs to be submitted by July 1st. And it's like, the other ones didn't say that. So maybe I was reading too much into hmm. it. Could it be, and sorry to interrupt, but could it be an issue with just this happened because of the attempt to get the league schedule back on track after it was so heavily disrupted by the past season and a half due to COVID? I, I, I read into it as that, and there was probably a lot of, maybe there was a lot of miscommunication, but if he did send it off by June 30th, so that's well before the submission date, he gets mm-hmm. traded in the first day of the league year on July 28th. We're talking about a month of which, how did this get lost in the shuffle? And that, to this point, unless the league comes out and has this full-on investigation and they you know, say, you know, who messed up where and how did this happen, that really is the biggest question right now. Because now the only person that really deserves any sympathy at this point is, is Evgeny Dodonov, because he's like, I... I I don't know where I'm going now, and I don't know exactly how I'm supposed to feel that a team just tried to trade me to a place that I supposedly do not want to go to now, and it's creating this whole dynamic that has so many layers that once this comes out, who knows what's going to happen. To wrap up with Vegas, and I think as we'll kind of do with every team, we look at the Golden Knights right now. They're in the second wildcard spot in the Western Conference. They didn't necessarily have the maneuverability to do maybe as much as they'd like to do. How do you feel about this roster? Because I think from my perspective, I view their deadline day move as getting Jack Eichel two months ago. Mm-hmm. Like that that was the big move rather than waiting it out because like I said, you know, you look at the cap structure after that deal and would they have been cap compliant if Mark Stone did not go on LTIR? I mean, that was the big joke when Eichel was acquired is how exactly can they afford this? 
so I didn't really expect them to do anything except for maybe a move like the Evgeny Dodonov move. Uh, looking at this roster, how do you feel about the Golden Knights after deadline day, I guess, with or without uh, Evgeny Dodonov departuring? Yeah, that that's really the biggest question right now. And, it, you know, you mentioned John Moore and the busy weekend he had for the for the Lindholm trade. That, that was... When I looked at what Vegas was going to do, the only thing that I... Th- knew for sure was that they were going to move somebody out, whether it had been, you know, Riley Smith being an impending UFA, but apparently there is there are rumblings that he will sign an extension at some point. I don't know if that's going to be something that they want to address before uh before July first, however that's gonna go. Um right now as it stands, the Golden Knights, if this trade does go through, because of John Moore's contract they're only th- freeing up $3.375 million, which is not a lot. Um, because depending on how the roster looks, because right now Robin Leonard's on IR, Max Pacioretty was just placed on IR on Sunday, Riley Smith is on IR, uh, I'm losing count at this point, who else is? Brady McNabb is on IR, Alec Martinez, and Mark Stone. I, I I don't know. You got everyone but Jake Bischoff. Yeah, Jake Bischoff, God bless him. I don't <laughs> even know if he's still in Henderson at this point. Um, so you got all those guys on IR. Kelly McCrimmon says yesterday that there is a possibility more will go on LTIR. I don't know if that sounds like Robin Leonard because based on what Pete DeBoer and what Kelly McCrimmon have said in recent days, without the uh, the testament of uh, one Dr. Frank Saravalli, as it's like to be called in these parts, um, they expect Robin Leonard to be back soon. And I don't know how that's going to actually pertain to the goalie situation, knowing how well Logan Thompson's played and how bad Laurent Brassois has played in the last few starts. So there's that. If Max Pacioretty goes on LTIR again, that's obviously a problem. And we still don't know what Mark Stone's availability looks like. Alec Martinez is the weirdest situation I've ever seen because we all thought it was just a a cut to the face with the skate blade. And then as it progressed, it turned into he got hit in the head with a boot to the with a boot to the head. So now we're thinking, okay, concussion, equilibrium, all of this stuff. And he's somewhat taken steps to get back on the ice. But He's not in full contact. He's been skating with the scratches. We have no idea if he's even going to play again. So all that being said, when you have $1 billion left in LTIR, you now have to make the decision if Mark Stone is ready to go, who goes on LTIR in place of him? And same with Alec Martinez and same with all of these guys. And Brady McNabb is probably going on LTIR at some point. I would like to think that this roster might be enough now that you've added Jack Eichel and he looks more comfortable as the games go on that they could make a playoff push. Can they get there though? Currently constructed? I don't know. And that's what a lot of people are nervous about in these parts right now. And I, it, it is a, it is a very interesting spot for Pete DeBoer to be in. And I know a lot of people have been calling for his head. There was even a petition that somehow went up here in the city that was like, we need to get him out of here. This is a hard hand for him to be dealt. And the fact that they are 18 games left in the season 
and points percentage they're out of the playoffs but in points they are still ahead of dallas barely with a few games in hand the fact that we're still talking about this team in a playoff spot is remarkable and a lot of people need to realize that currently one point ahead of Dallas, the Stars have four games at hand for that last wild card spot. And then obviously from there you get the likes of Winnipeg, who sold a bit at the deadline. Vancouver's a little bit further back. And those are, it really does seem like it's, can Vegas hold on against this push from the Dallas Stars? Yeah, and Winnipeg, who just mollywopped them the other day, 7-3, to three, who they play again tonight in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. So uh, Laurent Persuas is probably going to be in net again after giving up four goals and 13 shots the other night in Winnipeg. He needs to play better, and the, the team in front of him needs to play better if they do not want Winnipeg on their tail. Very intriguing, obviously, the Western Conference. The Eastern Conference has kind of been set up in terms of the, the playoff structure for the past two months, if not more. I'm intrigued because there is going to be, we kind of knew heading into the season, like there were going to be teams that, okay, yeah, these good teams, not everybody can make it. Uh, obviously, you know, you look in the Eastern Conference, it's a team like the Islanders or the Flyers where you're like, how are you as bad as you are? But aside from that, every year, you know, someone's not going to make it. Uh, obviously, we talked about Anaheim quite a bit, so I kind of want to switch over to them because they were the, I do believe, technically the busiest team at the deadline. Uh, they kicked things off, of course, by sending Josh Manson to the Colorado Avalanche. They picked up Drew Hellison in a second in that regard, which I think is a pretty damn good trade for them. It gives them another defender where who knows. And as I'm going to talk about, a lot of draft picks. Speaking of Minnesota, they acquired a third-round pick next year for Nick Delorier. Still don't know how they did that. Uh, Hoppuslund told him got traded to the Boston Bruins. <clears throat> Um, alongside Cody Curran uh, for John Moore, Vegas Golden Knight legend John Moore, uh, Urho Vakaninen, a first and two seconds. We'll talk about this, don't worry. Uh, they sent Ricard Raquel to the Pittsburgh... Oh, God, I just got reminded of this one. Oh, they sent Ricard Raquel to the Penguins for Dominic Simone, Zach Aston Reese, Callie Klang, a goaltending uh, prospect, and a second round pick this year. And then if the Dodonov trade goes through, it is a conditional second round pick. It's a second round pick no yeah. matter what. So, Which, by the way, the conditions the Ducks, on that, sorry to cut you off, the conditions are that are based on the conditions of the Jack Eichel trade. Yes. So. <laughs> So the Ducks were in a position where, okay, good team in the Pacific kind of fell off, regressed, I think, to what they really were, a team that's still a, stu- you know, a few steps away. But they, uh, they now have two first-round picks and two second-round picks this year. And then in both 2023 and 2024, they currently have three second-round picks for each of those classes. Uh you know, Pat Verbeek recently took over as the GM of the Ducks, and for his first deadline, I think he passed with flying colors. I, I would absolutely agree. I, and the I I was kind of on the fence of I didn't really want the Ducks to completely sell because I thought they weren't that far off. And then I looked at the standings, and I'm like, well, they got a bit of an uphill climb to get back to a wild card spot or even get to third in the Pacific. So I think good on Pat Verbeek to understand. This group is not going to win this year. 
And if you get to the playoffs, if you get a wild card spot, if you get third in the Pacific, you're probably going to get run out of the building in four or five games. Or as Daryl Sutter would say, it's probably going to be a waste of eight days. So you, I love that quote. That was amazing. <laughs> so I, I think in that sense, you like what they did, and I like the assets that they gave it or they got in return. And I think this sets up the Ducks with a brighter future than I think we already expected them to have. Endo, any thoughts on the uh, Anaheim Ducks aside from players that they got rid of that uh, both of us kind of wish ended up on our favorite teams? <laughs> There's a lot the process. Um, I've been very quiet just trying to soak this all in because um, unfortunately I did miss a lot of the trades yesterday because I was at work. But I'm just kind of catching up on it now. And t- t- teams are getting a lot better. I'm just still more upset that teams that should have made bigger pushes did absolutely nothing. And we'll get to that later. But so far, it looked like there was a lot of good moves, especially from Anaheim, getting rid of some players and getting some stuff back. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's what I have to say so far on everything. I-, I promise you, I will chime in more, but I'm just still, tr- I'm still like currently trying to catch up and make sure I'm up to date with everything going on so my, my silence is not um is not uh just out of pure boredom it's out of just trying to research <laughs> as much as i can in the moment get me on the there podcast once and all of a sudden it just goes downhill and right. like oh get me out of here <laughs> uh screw it i guess we'll just go alphabetically through these teams yeah. then why not but for anaheim two thumbs up uh honestly for the arizona coyotes i kind of feel the same way, um, you know, they made sure to re-sign, you know, some solid members of the team. Travis Boyd, I think, has finally found a good home. Leafs legend, Travis Boyd. Um, Carl Vamelka as well, after the season that he's had, they ended up re-signing him. Uh, and, of course, uh, Jack McBain, who they acquired from the Wild in exchange for a second-round pick, which, you know, it, it's funny because you look, why not? And I'll, I'll talk about that with their draft pick situation why not? He wasn't going to sign in Minnesota, so you could say it's a bit much, but why not? Based off of just the pure amount of draft picks that they have, uh, they acquired a conditional fourth that could be a third if the Stars get into the playoffs, so relevant for Vegas, uh, in exchange for Scott Wedgwood. Uh, they took on Brian Little's LTIR salary uh, and acquired prospect Nathan Smith in exchange for a fourth. Every time I see this trade, it just it brings back the rage. Um, Washington acquired Johan Larson for just a third-round pick. Uh, Arizona also retained half, so Johan Larson's making 700 k God, I hate this. Um, I and they sent Riley Nash back to the Tampa Bay Lightning for Ooh. future considerations. So... We talked about the Coyotes using that second for Jack McBain. They still have four second-round picks this year and potentially three firsts. Obviously, right now there's the conditional uh, pick that involved Montreal and Carolina for the Christian Dvorak acquisition and the uh, first-round pick as well for Darcy Kemper. So you're talking about seven picks in the first two rounds this year. In a sense, why not give up a second to get Jack McBain? Why not? Yeah, I mean, as my dog just decides to bark at the door. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, my dog doesn't like what Arizona did. Uh, but no, it, it, there there's a lot to like about Arizona right now, right? They go on the, they go on this run where they 
you know, they start winning some games. They start getting the fans a little bit excited before they downgrade into a 5,000 seat arena. And they're, you know, they're, they're getting the, the excitement level up. Right. And they just keep adding draft picks. I mean, they just signed Bismelka to what a three year extension, very friendly deal, I think. And I, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I said I didn't really care much about the Coyotes, but it always seems like they're always they're very proactive in getting those assets this year. And the Larson trade just threw me. Like, how in the world did he only go for a third? Like, I, I was I could not believe that that was the only, and they retained half. Like, what is going on? As as I had it explained, oh, well, he's coming off of an injury. That hasn't stopped teams before. Right. Especially, too, when the market was as crazy as it was throughout the weekend in terms of what certain players were going for. So, very, very surprising. Endo, at the very least, thumbs up, thumbs down for the Coyotes. They took our goalie. <laughs> yeah, I guess oh, I did forget that. Too, yeah. They took Sateri. It was a Harry Sateri. Uh uh, recent gold medal uh, goaltender for Finland, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. played amazing uh, during that uh, that stretch. A lot of people were talking about how um, this was going to be a season to prove, especially with uh, guys who aren't in the NHL being over there for the Olympics. And big proof over there. Um, congrats to him. Uh, I I said this. It was um, because when we grabbed Carter Hutton from them. It was for future considerations. And part of me was joking that, like, mate, maybe this was the, the future consideration that they considered. And to me, to me, that's the way I added up, even though it's just them just yeeting our goalie from us. And now we're kind of stuck. But we'll, we'll get to that later. But uh, I think good moves. I think they could have gotten a little bit more uh, for that, uh, for Larson. But uh, so far, so far, it's all right. I mean, we already said they're going to go downgrade to, like, a smaller arena. And they are in the middle of like a big rebuild. So, yeah. yeah. The Boston Bruins. Here we go. Get to start the timer. Tempted. I got to pour one out real quick. <laughs> Hang on. Yep. <laughs> I was tempted to save this for last because this might very well be the main event of the show. In terms of the Bruins' moves uh, around the deadline, they, of course, acquired Hampus Lindholm, as we already mentioned, and their lone move on deadline day. Because it's tough to make trades, don't you know? So you gotta, you gotta, you know, you can't go too, too tough on the GM. It's, it's tough out there. It's tough. They acquired, uh, who I'm gonna fairly label depth defenseman Josh Brown and a conditional seventh that the Bruins get if Seneshin plays five games before the end of the season. Uh, it turns into a sixth, actually. So there you go. It might be a sixth. Uh, yeah, Zach Seneshin and a fifth round pick go to Ottawa. Their lone move of the day was to move on from one-third of that uh, first-round class of 2015. Of course, Zaborl is still with the team, currently injured. I believe it was an ACL tear. And uh, Jake DeBrusque, who they re-signed uh, for two years at a $4 million cap hit. They also re-signed <clears throat> Hoppus Lindholm for eight, eight years. Eight, eight years. So, quickly... For, for Jake DeBrusque, the reason why I, I think a lot of people are like, wow, they resigned him, they didn't trade him. He's a pending RFA. And let me know if I'm wrong here, boys. This is how I read into it. 
him being signed makes him a lot more desirable to certain teams. I think we've seen the hesitancy from teams before in acquiring an RFA because you lose a lot of your negotiating leverage to be able to say, I mean, the player agent could just go, well, you wanted us. We're not under contract. That price is going up a little bit. This makes it much easier. I cannot imagine that Jake DeBrusque is still a Boston Bruin by the beginning of next season. Oh, I agree. I think that just re-signing him, I initially thought, and this had I had no insight on this, I thought toward the end they were just going to do like some sort of chaos trade with involving Dodonov, Raquel, and DeBrusque like toward the end. I thought that would have been something that they might have explored. Um, clearly that wasn't the case, but I, I agree in the sense that you sign him to this extension, they finish out. So what? He would have two years following this year. So yeah. at least it's a little bit more desirable to trade on that cap hit going into the summer. And if the Bruins somehow turn this into a, a deep run, at least they'll have Jake DeBrusque available to yeah. get to that deep run. So we'll, I, I agree. That was a very, it was a very interesting move. I didn't expect that to be their, like their only move of the deadline. And I know how angry you are about that, but, <laughs> oh man, I, I, I don't know. This, this particular resigning is smart though. It was less than what his qualifying offer was for. Mm-hmm. This was a good move. And as much as, yes, we're going to get into it. Uh, I was kind of on the uh, the Fire Sweeney campaign on Twitter in the aftermath of yesterday. I'm not saying that every move Don Sweeney has ever made has been bad. He's actually made some very good moves. In theory, I don't think the Hampus Lindholm deal and re-signing is necessarily bad. I don't think Hampus Lindholm's a bad player. Uh, matter of fact, I think, you know, right now I think his ceiling is a little bit unknown. Um, once upon a time, my, my co-host on this show, uh, labeled something as the great fog of Buffalo. And I think that can be a general sense in a a more broader term. What are you going to get from a player who is coming over from what is viewed as a bad team? How are they going to do on a good team? And you never really know. Uh, so I don't think Hampus Lindholm is bad. If he can play to his highest ability, and especially if he's playing next to Charlie McAvoy, he should be able to. I, I don't think this is necessarily a bad deal. I am wary about giving non-franchise level players eight-year deals, yeah. personally. Like yeah. That that scares me a little bit. Yeah. I, I would. The say, elephant in the... Go oh, ahead, actually. No, I, no, I was going <laughs> to say, I, I know you mentioned that the other day about giving him eight years and changing scenery. I would say the best recent example of that is Alec Martinez. Because when the Golden Knights sent out, I got I think two second rounders to get a guy who was very much a shell of of himself by the time that they acquired him, he comes in and he's one of Vegas's top defensemen. So there, there is, there are those instances where things can change, and especially you put him, like you said, with Charlie McAvoy, that should help a lot as long as it translates right away like i I think they're hoping that it just translates well enough to where they get into the playoffs and that pair is just shutting down every top line that they face 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's like you look at certain defensemen that have been required recently. Like, I think Seth Jones has, has played a better game since going to Chicago. I think Canucks fans are more happy with an Oliver ekman Larson than I think they would have thought. So, my issue isn't Hampus Lindholm, right. although I have been quoted in saying, if the Bruins have a parade this summer, I will be there in a Hampus Lindholm jersey with a sign around my neck that said I was wrong. My biggest issue is this forward group. And this is my frustration. Now, right now, the top line is Marshawn, Bergeron, and DeBrusque. Obviously, DeBrusque's not a natural right winger. He had that really nice hot streak and now has gone, I believe, six games without a goal. It's concerning. The second line, Hall and Pasternak on the wings. Beautiful. Eric Hall is the center. Golden Knights legend Eric Hall. And thank you for mentioning the Golden Knights because the Golden Knights, <laughs> if we if the Bruins had Golden Knights era Eric Halla, I have no concerns because mm-hmm. he had in that first year in Vegas a 55 point season with 29 goals mm-hmm. in 76 games. Uh, there was obviously something just magical about that team where so many guys had career years. He wasn't that bad the next year either, but he only played 15 games because he got hurt in Toronto. Because of that knee injury. Thanks, Sorry. Endo. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to say, that inaugural Vegas team was basically the fuck it, fuck around and find out team. It was oh, like yeah. the Island of Misfit Toys is what I want to call it originally. Where it was like everyone who just kind of was like a let go kind of went, all right, cool. We're, we're going to be basically sent sent uh, to a new land and discover who we are. All right, we're going to quickly just make the Stanley Cup final and set a record for the best inaugural season ever of an NHL franchise team. Just not a big deal. We could have, we could have totally won that final anyway, you know. Yeah. You know, Halla ends up going, spending time in Carolina, a little bit of time in Florida, some time in Nashville, and isn't that bad. And even this season, you know, 27 points in 60 games, he hasn't been on that second line all season long. He has spent time on the third line, but the Bruins seemingly have found a little bit of magic on their third line with Trent Frederick, Charlie Coyle, and Craig Smith. I just, despite the fact that the Bruins won in Montreal last night off an amazing Brad Marchand move, and Eric Halla does like this Irish jig while walking over to Brad Marchand, it was one of the funniest things I've seen this season. It's just that I think Hampus Lindholm should have been, and if we can pull this off, good. But that's 1B. Our 1A move is to get another forward. And they didn't do it. And... I'm sorry, but I look at the fourth line of $3.8 million worth of Nick Felino, And Nick Felino at this point is your defensive, physical leadership guy. You know, Tomas Nosek, another Vegas legend, and Curtis Lazar. I just, I, I, I'm still a little bit concerned about the offensive firepower. I am. And I, I think that's a fair complaint because I, I mentioned this on stream and obviously uh, my anger has subsided from yesterday's live stream during the deadline. The Bruins are, I believe they were 17th or 18th on deadline day in terms of total goals for, 6th in terms of fewest goals allowed. Now those are very basic numbers and pretty straightforward, but even like boiled down to its basic elements you can't necessarily look at the defense or goaltending, in my opinion, and say that was the biggest issue. I I can't necessarily I, I can't necessarily get the Bruins a passing grade for this deadline. I can't. I fully admit that. Hey, yeah, this could work out. 
who knows how often is it that the Stanley Cup favorite ends up winning? Yeah. I mean, unless you're Tampa the past two years, I guess. Uh, how often is it, though, that that ends up working out? I mean, everyone's like, oh, Colorado or Vegas slam dunk uh, for the Stanley Cup final last year. Sorry, Danny. Uh, and <laughs> sorry for the lack of extra games there, thanks to Montreal, Montreal. of all teams. Like, that's that's the point, right? Yeah. Like, you just you never know what it's what it's going to be so they could go on a deep run but i wasn't exactly instilled with that extra bit of confidence that i would have even if it was someone who might be viewed as a more defensive forward uh, like an andrew cop or someone like a ricardo keller even a max domi like i'm not sitting here saying max domi would have solved all the issues in the world but you know you look at certain numbers it's like okay he does still seemingly have that playmaking ability i i just can only imagine Max Domi passing pucks to Taylor Hall and David Posternock. What might happen for that second line? And we're not going to see it. And we're not going to see David Krejci back. He he's done. Like he's happy staying over, you know, in in Chechia, And I'm I'm happy for him. I am. Like he doesn't owe this fan base anything. But I uh, I'm worried because if you talk about the Bruins. If the playoff situation stays the same, and look, right now, uh, they are even in points with Toronto, which is insanity. Um, The Leafs do have a game at hand. Uh, They're one point behind the Lightning, who have two games at hand. So who the hell knows what's going to happen in this Atlantic division. Uh, But Boston against Carolina. I'm not overly enthusiastic about that matchup because Carolina has, I think, a seven to three, maybe it was seven to one, and a six to nothing victory over the Bruins in 2022 so far. I'm not overly enthusiastic about a potential matchup with the Rangers, as unlikely as it is, because the Rangers got better, the Penguins got better, the Panthers and Lightning got better, and the Leafs, at the very least, made a deal too that I do think makes them better. I could rant about this all day, and I won't, because obviously we have some other teams we want to talk about, and granted, there are some teams where it's like, hey, they didn't do anything, moving on. Uh, but, I don't know, like, I, 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 the best way I can sum it up is, I feel like I've had glasses on that, ex- or that some people have glasses on that extend about five feet in front of their face. So you can't really see anything to the left or right of you. But they do see Hampus Lindholm, and they're like, yes, this is good. Meanwhile, I'm like, okay, I see Hampus Lindholm, but I also see problems to my left and right that other people don't seem to be seeing. Am I taking crazy pills here, or am I accurate with my concerns? So, I want to jump in and say, you can't discredit the Boston Bruins for that game against Carolina, because it was with Tuka Rask. And it was with him letting in five goals the 583 save percentage. So that that first game, yeah, yeah, totally like Tuka wasn't ready at all. Then and then he retired like a week later. Um the second game, yeah, I see I see what you mean. I think but I do the second I do game see, was worse than the Tuka game. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I do see your concern. I do think that there is still tons of time in the regular season for them to figure this out because they're they're in the the playoffs 100%. And if they do place Carolina, I think they're going to put in the second gear and put up a fight. I think they're I think it's going to be a struggle for them to get out of the first round. Uh, but then again, when was the last time a Leaf fan said that it's going to be a struggle to get out of the first round? So that's the last time they didn't say it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Now you know how I feel. Welcome to the club, buddy. 
Jesus. Let's cope together when we're both out of the first round. I'll go over the I'll go over the main. I'll make sure to get my password. I can we see can it drink. now. June twenty first, coping and seething with Tugi and Endo, the podcast. Is live episode of Tugi Take Podcast. Ooh, I'll just be energy. drinking the whole entire time. You'll just have like a can of like bubbly soda or whatever. Can you can you put on a uh, forty five minute Hell in a Cell match on WWE two K twenty two while this is going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what will last longer, my rant about being upset or this match? Uh, yes. Uh, 15, 15 cage climbs the entire fucking time. <laughs> And then Shat's uh, being investigating about if the cage broke in the top or not. Oh if it didn't render God. through. God, that, it was... That other night was just... I was dying laughing. Just I can't remember yeah. who the hell was fighting, but it was, it was hilarious. Uh, but Boston, though, I th- correct me if I'm wrong, Tuki, this is probably the same issue they had in the playoffs last year, right? Is the, the inability to score when they needed to and scoring timely goals. And I, I mean, I know the Islanders are... At that Islanders team is, you know, Barry Trotz is packing in, rely on the goalie, this and the other thing. But Taylor Hall obviously was a good addition for that. I felt like they could have probably gotten someone else that would have helped. And I, like you said, Max Domi would not have hurt that situation if you got him with Pasternak and Hall. That would have worked out great. And Eric Halla is just someone who I think is still just trying to work his way back from that injury, and he just never has gotten to that point. And that's why it was so easy for Vegas to to move on from him that following year. It was just he was almost ready to play for the playoffs in 2019, had things go on schedule. But it's just he has not been the same player since that year one. And it's not just his production; that knee injury definitely took a lot out of him. So we could talk about the Bruins all day long. I will I will spare you guys. I think that was kind of my best way to take all of my thoughts and emotions and frustrations over the past few days and just kind of meld it all together into as concise of a point as I can make. Um, to continue on here, Buffalo uh, got a sixth round pick for Robert Haig from Florida. Two thumbs up. Good job in Buffalo. You managed to get a draft pick for Robert Haig. I don't know how you did it. But congratulations. <laughs> Bravo. Buffalo just getting <laughs> draft picks everywhere. Jack Eichel and Robert Haig have given them three decent draft picks. Yeah. And I mean, the, you know, the funny thing is Buffalo, and we've talked about Buffalo a lot on the show, and Danny, I don't know if you'll necessarily disagree. They're set up pretty well. <laughs> I mean, in the aftermath of the Eichel trade, they they are set up pretty well. I think this is... Uh, Almost very similar to what we saw with the patch ready trade with Montreal, where it's like, hey, this in theory is going to benefit both teams in the long run. Oh yeah, absolutely. That that the Eichel trade, I think, worked out for. It's one of those rare instances, including the Montreal trade, where it worked out for both. With Buffalo, you got a young guy that you can build around as your future captain, and Alex Tuck, and then you have Peyton Krebs, who you can just continue to develop and you know switch in between, you know, Rochester and Buffalo, and he's. He looks more comfortable day after day watching Buffalo. It's ridiculous how good he looks. And then with the Montreal trade, you know, they may have jumped the gun in paying Nick Suzuki all that money. Probably deserved it after the playoff run. But now you're seeing the ramifications of it's Nick Suzuki and nobody else on that roster right now. So it is what it is. Well, uh, uh, (laughs) thank you for being our sin for the day. (laughs) 
for not mentioning Cole Caulfield. Oh in yeah, conversation. There's Cole Caulfield. I, I, you know, when you when you watch Montreal for as long as I did, which is six games too many last year, and you just <laughs> uh, you just, it, they just go off the face of the planet. You're like, I'll take a break from realizing who they have at this point. Fair enough. Uh, we'll move on to Calgary. They got a lot of their business done early, and I think that is the reason why, right off the top, it's a big win for Calgary. They are a much better team than I think we thought they would be because for so long they were in limbo of are you going to rebuild or not. Uh, they got the Tyler Toffoli deal done on Valentine's Day. Uh, they acquired Callie Arncrook from Seattle on March 16th, and then yesterday picked up Ryan Carpenter in exchange for a fifth. They are currently... Can't believe I'm saying this. The top team in the Pacific Division certainly didn't look like that might be the case uh, earlier on in this season. Uh, I have to give Calgary a thumbs up on this. I I think they are one of those teams that you look at heading into the playoffs, and I think Minnesota's in that conversation. I think the Bruins are probably in that conversation, too, of, man, they might just be built for the playoffs. You never know. So I think Calgary are are big, big winners over the past uh, Month, uh, month plus since Valentine's Day. I agree. Uh, Calgary is... The thing with me about Calgary is that I can't get over that first round series against Colorado a few years ago. And for some reason mm. that sticks with me so much that I'm like, do I want to believe them? And the only reason why I believe them to this point is because of Jacob Markstrom. He is literally the only reason why... If you told me Calgary was going to make a deep run, he is the one guy that I think would be the reason why. Getting to Foley was huge. Um, Getting another Vegas Golden Knights legend in Ryan Carpenter uh, for some depth purposes. (laughs) Former Golden Knights just going in and out. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, I I like what they did. They They continue to surprise me, but I really, I, I'm just a little too cautious to believe in them come playoff time. I don't know why. It, it, probably that Colorado series still still haunts me. But I, I, I like what they did. I just don't know yet. Endo, my question for you regarding Calgary. There is a chance that we have three Canadian teams in the playoffs. Between Calgary, Edmonton, and Toronto. Who makes it the furthest? I thought you were going to say Vancouver. I was going to say, damn. Uh, that is a possibility with the way that Bruce Boudreau is carrying that team on his back with his barbecues. Um, just, I, I think personally, I don't think Toronto is going to get past the first round again. And then, as I said on Twitter, there's going to be a a riot. And Dubas is going to get rid of Marner for some guy who can fight. Some like AHLer who can fight and uh, spits on someone's grandma and gets works all the money for 750k a year probably um, <laughs> uh, I think Edmonton might do it I think Edmonton might go far this year I don't know what it is uh, if it's them having Zach Hyman or having pieces actually connect together uh, they're on a little bit of a skid but I see them balancing out a little bit more um, I think they need to do something quick because they only have a few more years with Leon there and McDavid there being locked in. And this is the time period as well with Toronto and they're same they're in the same boat as well, where they have to figure out what's going on uh for their team. Because they have their identity where it's basically Leon and 
McDavid and then the Funky Bunch is the rest of them. But I think they can go far. The Carolina Hurricanes. They didn't do too much. They re-signed Jesperi Kakaniemi for eight years at four point eight million. I do believe was the number was the number there. And in terms of a trade, they acquired uh, Max Domi for what equates to I think he's on twenty five percent of his original salary. I have because yeah, I think Columbus retained fifty, yeah. or uh, Florida retained fifty, and then the other one retained twenty five. Yeah, Columbus retained fifty, Florida retained twenty five. What a deal! <laughs> uh, and that that was it for them. Now they kind of walked into this deadline saying we're not going to trade a, a first round pick. They already don't have their first this year. We're not going to trade one of those future two or even beyond. And at first, I'm like, well, is that the smartest move? But on the same side of the coin, like, you get Max Domi to get a little bit more offensive depth. You know, Freddie Anderson's their guy at this point. And then defensively, you know, right, right now, Ethan Bear's slotted in as a scratch, which leaves guys on their defense. Like, their third pair is apparently Brendan Smith and Ian Cole, which I look at that and I'm like, eh. But at the same time, if you want that staunch, like, defensive, physical type of defender... Those are two guys for it, for that third pair. So I don't know if I'd give it a, a massive thumbs up for Carolina, but I, I certainly couldn't name them losers on this deadline. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they could have really done anything without going full on, like, go for it, because they're probably in that position where you don't really need to because of that team that's currently constructed. I mean, Domi, you can throw in your middle six, and that's, I mean, they've already got ridiculous center depth as it is, so you just throw him in there and, He'll he'll definitely get his points depending on who he's lined up with. I'm not sure yet who he would be with, but he'll he'll get his points. And just Anderson and that defense in general has just been stellar this year. And I I I, th- I think you can be fine with them not going full on get a big name and go from there. I think they did fine. I think it's a move where hindsight will dictate. You know, mm-hmm. you, you look at it and say, okay, if they make it, oh, yeah, they didn't really need much else. Yeah. They don't make it compared to a Florida or a Tampa who did go all in. And then you'll have that concern, I think, from that fan base of like, oh, why couldn't we have gone for somebody else to try and you know push us that little bit extra further? Endo, any thoughts on your former best friend, Freddie Anderson, and, and the Carolina Hurricanes? Um, They didn't really need to do much, I think. They had a very, very solid team. They'd had a lot of moves in the offseason that really boosted up their core. And especially picking up Ethan Bear, which amazing, amazing signing. We pick up Ethan Bear, uh, getting getting Max Domi, who I would love to have as a leaf, um, but it would never, it wouldn't work out the way we would want it to work out. Um, great, great moves. Um, yeah, it just it was just there's nothing wrong about what they did. Like like we said, there's this very a safe call, uh, very easy for them to grab him up. Uh, a lot of, a lot of moves going, a lot of pieces going around. But at the same time, you gotta, you gotta do something. Trade deadline was not making it easy for any GM to do anything. Good move overall. Chicago, they were big sellers in this window. Oh, they uh, were. Moving on from Brandon Hagel and two fourth round picks, those going to Tampa in exchange for Taylor Radish, Boris Kachuk, and two. First round picks in 2023 and 2024. 
They also acquired a conditional second-round pick this year that does become a first as they dealt uh, Marc-Andre Fleury to the Minnesota Wild uh, if they reach the Western Conference Final and Fleury wins four of the games. That does become the first, and then also uh, sent Ryan Carpenter to Calgary for a fifth. So, out of, I mean, number one, first and foremost for Chicago, this is a win, easily. This is a winning deadline. I mean, just for the Tampa trade alone, obviously, I don't think it's a loss for Tampa just because it's a win for Chicago, as we'll discuss. Uh, But they don't have their first-round pick this year because of Seth Jones. Uh, but they do have now two seconds and three thirds, and then obviously the next two years already two first round picks. Um, you know, I have my my critiques of this of this franchise, my critiques of uh, potentially Kyle Davidson as the GM of the team, and uh, yeah, it turns out Kyle Dubas has some critiques <laughs> of Kyle Davidson as well. Uh, but I, it's it's a win. It's a win for Chicago. They did pretty damn good for themselves, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. I I think the way that Kyle Davidson recouped those assets and even just accepting the fact that they're going into a rebuild, I don't know what that necessarily means for the core of that team and what in the world happens down the road with that group. Um, but to get conce- conceivably, it was difficult for Davidson to get a first for Flurry and it might not turn out that way if Minnesota doesn't get far, but to still get a pretty decent pick out of that and to get the assets you got for Brandon Hagel, I think was a huge win for Chicago. And I'm very interested to see what this means this summer and possibly next deadline for what they want to do. And no, uh, any thoughts on uh, Kyle Dubas's best friend and his uh, hockey team? <laughs> I think this is really funny that they were both going head to head when that um, that trade that was really supposed to happen with a whole bunch of pieces going from from each team, us us giving them I think it's uh, Matthew Knies and then another player and then a first round for Hagel and Fleury and I think it was like a second or something like that. Um, that that was hilarious because Dubas basically went like, "Dude, what the fuck, man? Like, you can't be telling me secrets like that. It's not nice." Like. That kind of thing. He uh, he learned from Lou Lamorella. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if details of this, of de- if details of discussions get out, the deal is off. Which is why uh, who was it? Zach Parise mm-hmm. never ended up as a uh, as a member of the Leafs like three mm-hmm. or four years ago. Yep. And it's also why Hagel was traded away. Another another deal. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think this is a big move. Um, not only just for um, redacted, uh, but I think it's good for. Um, I think it's good for for Flurry as well to go to a team that definitely needed uh, some sort of extra cushion and support for a playoff push, um, as well. Uh, Hagel going over to, I think he went over to uh, was it Tampa? Yeah, yeah, went over to Tampa. They, they were like well, the kings, like the like within we'll the past about. like five years, both teams in Florida have gotten so good. We'll get to those later, but they've just gotten so well and so so quickly. Um, but yeah, Chicago, big moves right there, acknowledging that they're going to have to do a rebuild, not a retooling. Uh, I'm, su- I wonder what's going to happen with, uh, with Kane and Taves, if they're going to go anywhere or they're going to stick it out and just kind of ride their careers there. Um, I mean, at this, in the, not to relate it back to a Leafs in area, but when we had Phil Kessel here was the Phil seats. Um, we're going to have them around just to keep that competitiveness or to help them build up the new talent that's coming through. It all depends. But all I know is that Alex DeBrinkett needs to be uh, captain. 
of that franchise as soon as possible because he's the true leader and he is the future of this franchise. Yeah, it'll be Seth Jones. Uh, the, the Colorado, you got you got to give it to the guy who's there the longest. That's how it works. Um, the Colorado Avalanche, another winner at this deadline. Uh, obviously, again, they picked up Josh Manson. Uh, they dealt Nico Sturm uh, for Tyson Joes from Minnesota just to free up some cap. Uh, acquired Arturi Lekkinen for prospect Justin Barron and a second which I think a lot of Habs fans are excited about. We'll talk more about that when we get to Montreal. And also acquired Andrew Cogliano for a fifth. They stocked up. They did what they had to do. You get, you know, in a sense, these role guys that can really push a team over the edge. Like, you look at that third line now, uh, which is slotted to be Arturi Lekin and Alex Newhook and JT Comfer. Uh, you know, it might not be... Like, Lekkanen and Comfort probably aren't the biggest names in the world, but to have two guys like that, both 26 years old, with that experience to help insulate another potential young star like Alex Newhook, they have depth up and down the lineup. Uh, they get another, like, the average height of Colorado's defense <laughs> right now. And granted, it is because guys like Sam Girard, Ryan Murray, and Bowen Byram are out injured. Um... But, you know, you start off 6-1 and uh, 5-11 for, for Taves and Makar. Okay, that's nothing too crazy. 6-1 uh, and 6-3, uh, Jack Johnson and Josh Manson. And third pair, 6-5 and 6-4, Curtis McDermott and Eric Johnson. Uh, might not be the most skilled, uh, but they'll beat you up. Mm-hmm. And that's what Colorado has. They have the ability to, uh, you know, outskill you. They have the ability to beat you up. It's a win for them here, for this particular deadline. Uh, the rich get richer was kind of the theme, I think, of, of this trade deadline, and Colorado applies. Yeah, that that uh, Lekkanen trade, I did not expect at all to go to Colorado. That was probably the, hmm. to me, that was probably the biggest shock of the final hour. Um, the biggest thing with Colorado over the last few years was, do they have enough depth? And over the last few years, they have addressed that depth tenfold to take the pressure off that top line and you add like an in that, if that third line is really what it is, man, that team is going to be so much of a pain in the ass to pay more than they already are. And if, uh-huh. if that's your third line, that's ridiculous. And you know, the fact that they're, I can't remember who it was there. Are they without Rantanen or is it Landeskog right now? Landeskog. Landeskog okay. Who's that right so now? They're out with Landeskog. Gerard's probably another few weeks out, and yet they still find a way to win games. It, it's just ridiculous how deep this team is. And do I imagine you'd concur so we can just move on to our next team? <laughs> Fuck! Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Stanley Cup favorites for a reason in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets didn't do much. It was only the Domi trade uh, where they acquired prospect Aiden Hreschuk from the Carolina Hurricanes. You could sit there and look at a team like this that's on the outs and say, well, why didn't they do more? But the problem is they really don't have that many pieces that they'd like that they'd be likely to move. I mean, Line is an RFA. They obviously want to keep him around. You're probably not going to get much for Jack Roslovic at this stage, which pretty much leaves the only options UFA-wise were Jonas Corposalo, who I can't imagine is uh, an ideal target for too many teams, and Dean Kukan. Like, that's it. And he was really the only name that was out there to get moved. So uh, Columbus, pretty inactive 
it just just indifference. There's really not too much to talk about. Yeah, with, with the they're Blue Jackets. They've already they've already established they're going with the youth, and that youth yeah. is already ridiculously good. And I can only imagine what's going to happen in the next couple of years with that group. I was I I did hear rumblings about Corpus Allo to Vegas like earlier in the weekend. But I didn't think it was going to materialize once Logan Thompson played as well as he did. And I don't know if that would have really benefited Vegas unless it was a change of scenery and you hope you get the guy that, you know, nearly beat Tampa all by himself a couple of years ago in the bubble. So I, I don't know if that would have actually came to fruition. But, um, yeah, not not surprising that ultimately he didn't get moved. Uh, we'll move on here. We'll kind of pick up the pace as we will, because some of these teams, again, there's just not too much to say. Uh, the Dallas Stars acquired Scott Wedgwood from Arizona, primarily due to the fact that Braden Holpe's health is in question, and uh, a late deal getting Vladislav Nemesnikov from the Detroit Red Wings, which I think is a decent little pickup. Again, Dallas is right there on the edge, though, so I understand not wanting to maybe push it too much to go for it and make sure you get into the playoffs. But at the same time, I mean, granted, he just re-signed, but Joe Pavelski's 37. Um, you know, Sagan and Ben are both over 30 now, or, I mean, Sagan is 30. So it just makes you wonder, like, okay, is this patience going to pay off to say, hey, if we make it this year, cool. If we don't, then, hey, we'll, we'll address it moving forward. Uh, I, I don't know. I... I look at this team, and it's like, you did have the opportunity to add a little bit more than you did, and you did have the opportunity to sell. I mean, uh, UFAs included the likes of Alex Radulov, who isn't what he used to be. John Klingberg was obviously the really big name out there. So I don't know how to feel about Dallas. It's I think they're one of those teams where it's like, hey, we'll wait and see if they make the playoffs or not. Yeah, pretty much. I, I think ultimately I was surprised they didn't get move on from Klingberg. Like, I thought they would hmm. eventually do that, but, I mean... You had Nemestikov, he goes to your third line, probably, and yeah, I, I mean, Dallas is Dallas is really surprising a lot of people right now, and the fact that Jake Ottinger is playing the Wells he is, and they're able to kind of solidify that goalie position, you know, without Braden Holpe is, and Anton Kadobin, I think is a huge win, and to get Wedgwood, who had a, a few good starts this year, uh, I think is fine. Um, yeah, they're, they're right there, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's another instance where if they get to the playoffs, cool, we'll see what happens when we get there and if they go on another run, but it should be interesting with Dallas. Well, as Endo knows, though, they have my favorite player in the league and one Jason Robertson. Um, Love so, Jason Robertson. I, I don't necessarily want it to be at Vegas's expense, but at the same time, I want to see Jason Robertson in a playoff situation. I'd love it. I'd be all go. for that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Detroit, a couple of quick moves from Steve Eisenman, but tidy business as always. Fourth round pick for Nemesnikov, a seventh for Troy Stetcher. And then was able to get uh, Oscar Sundquist, Jake Wallman, and a second next year from St. Louis for Luke Witkowski and Nick Letty on 50% retained salary. It's these type of moves that make Steve Eisenman what he is. It's not always, though, trading for firsts or seconds. Granted, it was a second rounder here. Uh, he'll he'll find a way to make this look, I think, even worse than it already does for the Blues. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it, it's Steve Eiserman. Yeah, I mean that's two depth. That's two pretty solid depth pieces from St. Louis that he was able to poach. And 
it, it's just another instance of that uh, mind control hypno type of thing that Steve Eiserman <laughs> tends to do every year that he is eventually passed on to Julian Brzezois. So it, it's just uh, it's just madness. But yeah, I I like what Detroit did. I like obviously the direction they're going is well up there, and it should be interesting how they navigate the next next couple of years. Endo, I know you threw the idea out to uh, to our good buddy Timo, um, you know, noted graphic designer and streamer. Uh, I know you threw the idea out there after your tweet of uh, "Who's my daddy?" and of Genny Dadnoff story and wanting a graphic made for that. Um, I want a graphic of Steve Eiserman as the Hypno Toad from Futurama. Uh, oh my god! I think it's very applicable. I was gonna say like. <laughs> And every meeting for when it was Stevie Wyman said trade, he holds up and he's like, you will give me a second round pick. You will give me a second round pick. For, for people who are listening to the audio forecast, uh, audio version of the podcast, I picked up a little uh, thing that I have on my microphone and just, you know, just held it up like a, like a magician trying to like, hypnotize someone. Just you will give me a second round pick conditional, at least conditional, but still a second round pick. <laughs> he he is setting the the standard for um, policing, wheeling, stealing, and dealing uh, tricks. Okay, tricks. now I want Steve Eisenman as Ric Flair, <laughs> robe and all, <laughs> Woo! pulling out of a limo, pick stealing, Whoa. wheeling, dealing. Son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Capsircumvention, son of a gun. Woo! <laughs> Goodness, goodness, goodness. Uh, I'm glad we talked about Dallas and kind of did the format this way. Um, you know, as again, we'll still try to pick up the pace here because I don't want to take up too much of Danny's time today. Um, going on. Fair enough. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers, unlike the Dallas Stars, who are like, okay, I can understand not fully committing. Uh, they acquired Brett Kulak from Montreal for William Lagason, a conditional second, which is a second no matter what, and a seventh. And they also acquired Derek Broussard for a fourth round pick. Man, I I just don't know. I don't know. Like, I look at this Oilers team, and it's like, I, I just... Can you really afford... Can you really afford... Like, I think I do like the Brett Kulak pickup a lot and think he instantly becomes one of the better defenders on that team. Derek Broussard, we kind of know what he is at this point. He's still, like, kind of along the mold of what they already have with, like, a Devin Shore and a Derek Wright. It's just... Like, you could say they already added Evander Kane through circumstances that they did. I just... I still look at this team and I'm like, I don't believe you. I do not believe that this team has enough. Not even close. Even with the additions they made of Colorado did nothing. You still look at Colorado as and Vegas if they're fully healthy as yeah, no, they're all you know. The Oilers have McDavid. They have Dry Seidel and uh, you know, other solid pieces. Obviously Evander Kane on the ice is a very solid player still, Zach Hyman. I just don't believe them. They're still going they are still here's the best way to sum it up. Still going into the playoffs. With Miko Koskin and Mike Smith as their presumed two goaltenders. And then maybe you throw Stuart Skinner to the Wolves. I can't believe them. Edmonton is going about things backwards. And what I mean by that is that you look at their draft picks for next year. Don't have a second. 
don't have a third, don't have a fourth. But they still have their first-round pick. <laughs> and I feel like if you've got your first-round pick for the next three drafts, if you are trying to actually maximize the contention window with your two MVPs, you do whatever it takes. And for some reason, Ken Holland has gone about this in a backwards way that I don't understand. They, You're absolutely right, Tugi. They don't have the goaltending to get them far enough. And that I... I Want to say Miko Koskinen will kind of get it together and he'll have a strong finish to the season. I still wouldn't trust him in a seven-game series. I'm sure as hell not trusting Mike Smith in a seven-game series. And I'm definitely not ready to throw Stuart Skinner to the Wolves. I don't know what it is with Edmonton and their planning of roster management. It is still a backwards ideology that they have. The Florida Panthers. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. Summed it up perfectly, Brad. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say for Edmondson, don't care. We got uh, Vander Kane for for free, basically. Ratio yeah. plus you fell off plus. Um, still got our first round pick. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, the Florida Panthers screwed everybody over this deadline. Uh, yep. They started off by moving cap space to uh, send Frankie Vetrano to the New York Rangers for a fourth. Uh, they acquired Ben Sherratt for a first, Prospect Ty Smolenic in a fourth. That is the deal, of course, that threw everything off. Uh, they acquired Claude Giroux, <laughs> because of course they did. Uh, German Rubsov, Connor Bunneman in the fifth for Owen Tippett, a third and a first. Uh, Robert Haig for a sixth, and then uh, also acquired Yegor Korshkov, Leafs legend, and a sixth rounder involved in the Domi deal. They got their guy, and uh, I'll save my thoughts from the Philadelphia side of things on the Giroux trade uh, for a little bit later on, but this is a team. Number one, they don't have any of their first round picks over the next three years. Yes. Go for it. That is how you do it. Oh, well, with this first round pick... He might be ready in a year, like Moritz Sider. More likely than not, he will not be. So why bother? Your window is open now. Their top six is Verhege, Barkoff, Giroux, Huberto, Bennett, Duclair. With Sam Reinhardt on the third line. They went for it. And you know, like... A little bit of concern about Ekblad and his health, but, you know, Ben Sherratt, as long as, and coincidentally, he is in a first-pair role right now, with Uyghur, apparently, but Ben Sherratt isn't going to be called upon to be the guy next to Shea Weber or Jeff Petrie. They're going for it, and I respect that, you know, much like Tampa, who we'll talk about. They are going for it. Do it. None of this Boston, we dipped the toe into the pool and said that we went for a swim, Go for a swim, rather than saying you tried. And the Florida Panthers are taking advantage of those warm waters, and who knew cats could swim? (laughs) I didn't know how to wrap that up. (laughs) But but the the first three names you dropped, Verhage, Barkov, Giroux, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, that is... That is a fantasy draft type of first line that you just went out and basically, like, I, I, we obviously don't know the whole finishing picture of Owen Tippett, but man alive, that, that 
Owen Tippett got you that first line. Like, that is insane. Yeah. The Sherratt deal obviously broke everyone's brain. I think it's still kind of in the ether of what in the world was that. But, I mean, put him next to Weegard, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. And then, again, Sam Reinhart's on your third line. Like This team is that. You're talking about a team that needed to go for it in a market that desperately wants this team to do well. That team just personified what you needed to do at the deadline to one, put faith in your organization and two, put faith in your fan base to start putting more people in seats in that arena. Yeah. I mean, that's why in the aftermath of the 2013 final loss to Chicago with the Bruins, I wasn't upset. Like I was upset in the moment, but the idea of like, Oh, I wish we had a first round pick. Like, no, like, yeah, they, they went for it. You know, the team on the ice botched it, but they went for it. And then, yeah, you deal with the consequences later because, oh, no, consequences. Yeah, the consequences aren't that difficult to deal with if you have a Stanley Cup to look at. Mm-hmm. I should mention on that third line with Sam Reinhart, who has 60 points in 59 games, by the way, there is a third liner by the name of Mason Marchment. Endo Mills. Leafs legend Mason Marchment, who has 35 points in 37 games. Mother I'm telling God. you. I've said it a hundred times. There are so many prospects in that Maple Leafs development pool who go on to play amazing in other teams because it is just caught in this pipeline of just like, because the Leafs have so much talent on paper. It's just that they just don't execute. That's it. Send tweet. (laughs) So two big thumbs up for the Panthers. Uh, the LA Kings did not do much. Yeah. Uh, they shuffled some deck chairs, basically. And in a sense, they're kind of in that Dallas boat where although right now the stars are in or the uh, you know, the stars are in that you know, just on the bubble outside looking in. The Kings are in second in the Pacific Division. But I understand not wanting to go for it. I mean, UFA is you have Stetcher who they acquired, Olimata, Alex Edler. So, I mean, even if you elected to sell, you're not going to get too much. You know, the days of Alex Edler being rumored for, like, a first-plus from Boston are over. Uh, and then Dustin Brown is a UFA and Andreas Athanasiu. You might as well hold on to who you have. Yeah. You're probably not going to get too much back for selling. And I can understand not wanting to add too much. You know, you can always say, well, if you add, you never know. But with some of the prices that were out there, this is a team that still has all of their first and second round picks over the next three years. They already have a good prospect pool. Ride it out and see what happens, and it's just kind of bonus money the further you make it. Oh, yeah, and that that's obviously been the biggest surprise of this division, and Arvidsson has been such a insanely good pickup. Like only, only watching him live twice so far, he is a huge difference maker on that group. And it, it, it's insane how how much his speed combined with Athanasiu has kind of morphed that middle six into how good it is. But obviously right now they're dealing with injuries, Arvidsson being one of them, Brown's on IR, Drew Doughty, who knows when he's coming back, um, Brendan Lemieux's on IR, and then you got uh, Matt Matt Roy is on IR too. Like they, they're They're banged up and they're somehow kind of hanging afloat with where they are. So I'm kind of surprised they didn't go out getting maybe an insurance piece to help with that lineup. But at the same time, I mean, 
they're, they're surprising everyone right now. The Minnesota Wild. Very, very busy team this month. There was the Tyson Jost acquisition, a third-round pick for Nick Delorier. Uh, they brought in a second for Jack McBain, though, so it offsets that hurt a little bit. Uh, they acquired Jacob Middleton, uh, an interesting name that was out there. They got him for goaltender Capo Kakinen in a fifth-rounder this year, while then also uh, sending a second-round pick, conditional, maybe a first, to Chicago for Marc-Andre Fleury. And then right at the deadline, right at the buzzer, uh, they offset Victor Rask's salary, uh, $4 million for one year. The, you know, the rest of this year, they retain $2 million of it and send him to the Seattle Kraken. I mean, honestly, I think they did pretty good. Uh, Jacob Middleton was playing really good hockey in San Jose, and you now have a tandem of Marc-Andre Fleury and Cam Talbot in goal. You could maybe have wanted them to pick up another piece up front, but at the same time, uh, hey, Nick Delorier, he should be good enough. So, And in a sense, maybe they had their own kind of pickup from within because I think Matt Boldy stepped into this lineup faster than you would have expected, and he has 24 points in 30 games. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Um, I mean, Nick Delorier scored last night, so clearly they're already reaping the benefits off the return of hmm. Nick Delorier in one game has already scored a goal for the Minnesota Wild and has dragged William Carlson out of the crease by his sweater all the way to the blue line. Like that that already is <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> oh my god, it was great. <laughs> um yeah, they're they're already reaping the benefits of that, but obviously Flurry that's the big one and I I was kind of surprised I mean, I know Minnesota was reportedly involved like toward the waning hours. I thought the way that Cam Talbot played, I thought they were going to completely go in a different direction. I didn't think they were actually going to finish that off, and he's won six straight starts. But clearly, it looks like he's not going to be the guy going forward, going into the playoffs, if you're just going to get the reigning Vezina Trophy winner for a draft pick. So um, I'm interested to see how Flurry looks in front of that defense, and if that defense can kind of shore things up a little bit, that's going to be... So much better for Flurry. I know Chicago started playing a little bit better in front of him before the deadline, but that defense, knowing how well they are at just stoning dudes at the blue line in the neutral zone, it's got to make a life a little bit easier for Flurry. So I'm 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 interested to see how that pans out. The Montreal Canadiens got a haul for Ben Sherratt, Justin Barron in the second for Arturi Lekkinen. Uh, Nate Schneier for Andrew Hammond, that is what it is. And then, of course, also picked up another second for Brett Gulak. Uh, I am a gigantic fan of Ken Hughes at this point. Um, it is amazing just how much the the tone around this team has changed just from the appointment of Kent Hughes and Martin St. Louis. It went from doom and gloom, this team is boned, to, yeah, maybe not, because they have... Whew, let's see. Two firsts, two seconds, three thirds, three fourths this year. Uh, two uh, two first round picks next year. <laughs> and they might not be done kind of offloading pieces. Uh, this is. It's, it's, it's scary. I'll say that about. I'll say that for Habs fans. It's scary because you have a GM that is obviously, as a former agent, going to be a great negotiator. And you have a coach with an already young team who is clearly instilling confidence in this group, 
And in terms of the idea of building a culture, anybody else that joins that team over the next few years, Montreal, by the end of this decade, is going to be very, very scary. And that might not be what Habs fans want to hear after making the cup final last year, is, hey, you got to wait a couple of years to be good again. I, yeah, I would be very happy. You know, Kent Hughes, Martin St. Louis, and then Jeff Gorton, you know, above Kent Hughes. That seems like it's going to be a winning combination. Uh, I want to say sooner rather than later, even if it does kind of take a little bit for it to work itself out. But, yeah, no, just continuing down a really good path for the Habs. It's, it's a big thumbs up for them. And imagine the haul they can get for Jeff Petrie if they still unload him. Maybe not as much as it would have been at the beginning yeah, of the year. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. I think the way that he started playing under St. Louis, you could probably get maybe a little bit more if you want to capitalize off of that. But there there might be something there if you want to off, offload on Petrie. But yeah, they, they they are set up really well. Obviously, they're set up in their, their top six for, you know, for years to come. Um, and then who knows what happens with Carey Price beyond... Uh, beyond this year with their number one goal are, as you would say. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to see how this team kind of builds over the next few years, especially, especially through the draft. And if they can get a few more picks for uh, offloading a few more guys, Montreal is going to be very interesting. And though, any thoughts on the, uh, on the Habs? Uh, like it's going to be, they're, they already got a lot of picks coming through their talents doing a lot better as well. Um, well, with the way they're playing, they may not win the lottery and get um, Shane Wright, which would be hilarious because at first it was like, oh, we're going to do well. Then it was, oh, crap, we're going to get Shane Wright. And it's like, oh, crap, we're winning games. I thought we were tanking. What what's what the heck's going on? I wouldn't be surprised if for the last like five games or something, they somehow bring up Carey Price through and have him play. But and again, you have to look at their cap situation, too, because. They have like zero space right now. Apparently, like their projected cap is like zero. Their current space is like twelve mil. But like, it'd be crazy just to see Carey Price play like one game into the season. Like that Bell Center will be absolutely packed, like packed, complete, just to have him come back. Montreal, Seattle, Arizona, all currently on forty-four points at the bottom of the standings. So who knows? Only be one. Nashville gave up a second-round pick for Jeremy Lozon. Don't understand that. Uh, also brought in Alex Biega. Again, another team kind of like the Kings where I'm a little bit surprised they didn't do more. But at the same time, I guess you could understand it due to some uncertainties. Like they've yet to re-sign Philip Forsberg and did not move him at the deadline. Uh, they could just be viewing it as, hey, we're playing with house money because we are much, much better. <clears throat> UC Soros is amazing. Uh, they are much, much better than they probably ever expected to be this year. Oh, yeah. that That's that's pretty much the only reason why they didn't go out and get anybody else. I mean, Forsberg, what, 35 goals now, which is a Predators record, by the way, which is the most ridiculous thing uh, for that franchise. And Mm -hmm. somehow along the way, Matt Duchesne has turned back the clock and has looked like he's playing up to that contract. Like, I don't think anybody expected that. And of course, Soros has been playing like a Vesna finalist this year. So that's my king. (laughs) Yeah. He has been unreal. Um, yeah, I like Nashville. I, I like where they're going. I, they can kind of they're, they're right there with Minnesota, I think, for that third spot in the in the central. And that that race is going to be very interesting. It's 
ironically enough, it's going to come down to goaltending at the end. Devils fans, not too much to say to you. You guys didn't do anything uh, aside from acquiring Andrew Hammond, which is what it is. Uh, but honestly, there's not really too much they could do. Um, you know, RFA is in Jesper Pratt, Pavel Zaka, UFA. Basically, the only UFA was PK Subban, and even PK Subban at four and a half million isn't all that appetizing for teams. So they were kind of stuck in a situation where it's like, yeah, we just got to wait it out and see what happens. And unfortunately, they've been a little bit worse, I'd say, primarily due to injuries than I think they expected to be this year. Yeah, they're just there. I, I, I agree. There's really nothing there for New Jersey. Maybe next year. Maybe the year after that. Maybe the year after that. Who knows? <laughs> um, the New York Islanders also did absolutely nothing. I mean, they extended Cal Clutterbuck and Zach Parise, but... They didn't do anything either. Um, no attempt to move Zdeno, or maybe there was an attempt, but no success on moving like even a Zdeno Chara or Andy Green for anything. So very surprised at that, too, to see so little movement uh, from the Islanders. But again, in that spot of, well, what are we going to do? Move someone who has term? Like, this is kind of just an off year for us where they didn't expect to be this bad. Yeah, and I, and I know Varlamov was another option that they were probably looking to move. Um but yeah, they're, they're, they were just in that weird situation where they had that long road trip to begin the season before their arena opened up, and they really never recovered once they got into the building. And, you know, that, that team is too good to keep down for a long period of time. So I, I think keep, keep the team as is and run it back next year and see how much better they can be. The New York Rangers. Quiet Frank Vetrano, uh getting Jacob Truba's childhood best friend. <laughs> that picture was incredible. Um, one of the sneaky good moves at the deadline, Justin Braun from Philadelphia for a third. Then the big deal for Andrew Kopp, which to be honest, I mean, Morgan Barron in two seconds. I mean, granted, one of the seconds can be a first. I still don't think it's that bad. And they got Tyler Mott for a fourth round pick. I think the Rangers are big, big winners of this deadline. <laughs> Because I didn't trust that defense. Justin Braun helps a lot. Take a lot of pressure off of the younger guys. And getting guys like Cop, Vetrano, and Mott uh, address some of the depth issues that I think were glaring. Like, glaring for that team. Like, here's our stars. And then, uh-huh, there's not too much else. I mean, no disrespect to the likes of Dryden Hunt and uh, <laughs> Greg McKegg, Bruins and Leafs legend. But... Yeah, no, the Rangers are huge, huge winners at this deadline. Yeah, and, and the most important thing is is they got guys that fit Gerard Gallant's style. Like, Vetrano is a speedy guy who can kind of, you know, break the game open in the middle six, and then Cop is a guy that get the puck on his stick and watch him go, and then Tyler Mott's a very physical grinder of a fourth-line guy. Those are exactly the kind of guys that Gerard Gallant wants on that team, and that absolutely uh, fits his style. So definitely... And Justin Braun, too, for a third-pairing guy. Can't say that the Rangers did bad in this one. They did really well in the deadline. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, no, I'm, I'm not really throwing to you because I'm like, yeah, I think we're just all kind of in agreement with these teams. Like, there's not too much room to be divisive. And don't worry, your moment's coming with Toronto. Your moment's coming. Thumbs up just all like the way, boys. Don't worry. I'm here. <laughs> it's all good. Oh, God. Uh, I will want to get your thoughts on Ottawa, though. They, um... They sent a third-round pick this year to Vancouver for Travis Hamanick, who was immediately thrown under the bus in the media with a headline that said his, like that his teammates were like celebrating the fact that he got traded. And I've never really seen a headline like that to that extent of, like, Travis Hamanick traded, players rejoice. 
I mean, God even when Evander Kane media. left the Sharks, you didn't even really see a headline like that. God love Canadian sports media. Anything about Ottawa? Fuck it. Just, just whatever. Just, just shit on them. It's great. God, that's the that is like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Uh, is it because of certain views? Probably. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't think he was a big. Was he a big like freedom convoy wet dreamer? Um, as I like to call it. Is that what like he was proud of? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't I, even. I, personally see, don't care. I don't even know if it's worth speculating because, like, and, and the only thing I ever heard about Travis Hamnick was what a good guy he was when he was with the Islanders. Like, he even had that little E60 special about like, hey, here he is, and like the program he has with with kids and stuff like that. So, I have no idea. Um, they got Matthew Joseph in the fourth for Nick Paul, who they couldn't uh, agree to terms with on a uh, on, on a new contract. They. Uh, were successfully able to trade Josh Brown to the Bruins. Um, picked up Michael McNiven for future considerations and uh, got a fifth round pick for Zach Sanford. It was, it was okay. Um, didn't trade Chris Tierney, although I don't know what the market would be. I, the the biggest thing is just like, huh? You gave up a third for Travis Hamonic, huh? When you could have had him, I believe, on waivers earlier this season. Yeah, Ottawa's. Ottawa's just a team. I, I I mean that that's to to steal Pierre Dorian's uh, or Eugene Melnick's uh, whoever said that. Um, they're there right now, and you start to wonder when are they going to start turning the corner with that young that young talent on their roster, and then they go out and have a lackluster deadline. I I don't know. I mean that's they're just so they're such a weird group. They're, they're just weird. The Philadelphia Flyers. Fourth round pick for Derek Broussard. Third round pick for Justin Braun. And, of course, the elephant in the room is the Claude Giroux trade. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good luck trying to find a a team for, like, Yandel or Martin Jones. My biggest takeaway from this, and I said I'd mention it uh, when we were talking about the Panthers' side of things, I, from a negotiating standpoint, I'm surprised the Flyers didn't get more than just tip it a first and a third. Now, you could say... Well, Claude Giroux basically put it, you know, put it boldly, I'm only going to Florida. I don't want to go to Boston and the New York Rangers. My presumption for that, and I'm just you know, trying to make sense of two and two, didn't necessarily want to break the hearts of the fans by going to a direct rival. That seems to be what it likely would have been because it seems to be almost location-based. Didn't want to go to Colorado. So, okay, Florida makes sense. I just don't understand because you would in a in a normal situation, you would almost say, okay, well the the power goes to the Panthers because the Panthers know that Giroux only wants to go there. But in a sense, I feel like for Chuck Fletcher, you kind of threw away some power here. It's not, oh, the Panthers have the power because Giroux only wants to go there. It's oh, the Flyers have the power. Because the Panthers know that Giroux only wants to go there, and Florida gets to look at what a Tampa's doing and what another team's doing, and it's on Florida to make this deal because they need Claude Giroux. They want him, they need him, he completes that team, and the Panthers gave up a prospect who really wasn't getting it done at the NHL level, a first and a third. Who cares? We're going forward anyway. Yeah, that that's that's pretty much my takeaway too. You know where he wants to go. Why are you not trying to bring more back? Like, like again, I the 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 book is not necessarily closed on Owen Tippett. 
But is he someone that's going to come in and just start scoring 40 goals for you in the next, you know, four or five years? That's probably not. And that's pretty much, you just replaced the face of your franchise for however many years on hope. And that's kind of been the, the yin and the yang when it comes to the flyers over the last couple of years is they banked on Carter Hart to kind of elevate where he was in the bubble. That didn't happen. And now they're kind of in a position where they have guys that have definitely underperformed and they haven't been able to kind of maximize or take advantage of that time in the bubble. And that's come back to haunt them. And now they go into an era without Claude Giroux and you have to hope that Owen Tippett is the guy that's going to eventually revitalize your franchise. And I, he could. The chances are not that great, though. Uh, they're interstate rivals in Pittsburgh. Seventh round pick for Nathan Beaulieu, Ricard Raquel for, as I mentioned before, Simone, Aston Reese, Clang in a second. Uh, they get they get better, mm-hmm. especially with Ricard Raquel. They didn't have to give up a first round pick uh, to do it. The Penguins, by the way, have all three of their next uh, first round picks. They don't, haven't given away any of them. Uh, Ron Hextall, I think, you know, when he was first appointed, people were like, I don't know. Uh, this Raquel move was incredibly shrewd. And now you're talking about a top nine of Gensel Crosby Rodriguez, Raquel Malkin Rust, Heinen Carter Kapanen. They are just as dangerous as they've probably ever been. Yeah. And putting Raquel with probably Malkin, right? That's. Yeah. Ooh. Man alive. That, that team. Just when you're ready to throw the dirt on them and just move on, Tristan Jari becomes a ridiculously good goalie again, and that top nine is just insane. That that they they've done it again. They've done it again. Oh, and uh, isn't it great to see other Eastern Conference teams really going for it when they have a solid core? Oh yeah, it's it's great. Uh, you know, I'd appreciate it if you know our guys were to do the same thing. Uh, but mm. you know that's nature of the business. Remember, uh, if, if if it's too hard of a job to do, then you know just take a day off when it comes to the biggest day of the season. Tool up. I think the second biggest day is when the college season ends, so you can coach the the college talent that you have on your team. But like, yeah, I don't know. Um, congrats to the the Pens for being uh, dangerous and sliding themselves up as a possible uh, contender. More than they already were before. Like this is yeah. this second is in the metro right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, God, it's awful, isn't it? It's very it's awful. Uh, San Jose dealt Jacob Middleton for Capo Kakinen in the fifth, which was a little bit bizarre. Uh, acquired Anthony <laughs> Potato for Nick Merkley, fifth rounder for Cogliano, and swapped Antoine Morand or Alexei Malnichuk, a goalie for Antoine Morand from Tampa. Um. And an, an interesting one. Obviously, they elected to re-sign Tomas Hurdle. They didn't really have big names that they could look to move. I just find it interesting in goal. Uh, they have Reimer signed through next year at uh, two and a quarter. Aiden Hill signed for just a shade under two point two next year, and then Capo Kakinen's going to be an RFA. Uh, makes you wonder. One of those three has to go at yeah. some point this off season. You'd prob- probably ponder it will be James Reimer at thirty four years old. Yeah. I'd- the the Middleton deal kind of shocked me because for the whole weekend we were talking they were there were talks of you know him getting such a big haul for his cap hit and that a lot of teams could use you know a top four kind of guy but you get Capo Kakinen out of it and I and I do like Kakinen a lot 
And he's probably someone who at least you can, you know, you have his rights and you can have him as your goalie of the future, which San Jose needs a goalie of the future in some capacity after what happened the last few years. So I don't necessarily blame them for that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the move there. I thought they could have probably gotten a little bit more from Middleton from what everyone was saying, but I, I do like the Kakanen pickup. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. <laughs> I mean, uh, Aiden Hill and Kakanen are both 25. Yeah. So you have two guys who, who knows <clears throat> for, for Seattle. Let's just, uh, I'll leave it at this cause it's way too much to recap. Holy God. Um, they traded Cali Arncroke, Mark Giordano, Colin Blackwell, Jeremy Lozon, Mason Appleton, Marcus Johansson, and uh, acquired Victor Rask, uh, Daniel Sprong, and 17 million draft picks. The best way to sum this up for Seattle is that they made up for lost time at the expansion draft. They now have, this year, one first, four seconds, a third, and three-fourths. Next year, one first, three seconds, two-thirds, three-fourths. And then in 2024, they have two-thirds because they have Toronto's third. Um, look, we can criticize the uh, the Seattle Kraken and how they handled this expansion draft. If they should have gone for more of a Vegas approach because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, Jesus, like, I still look at the, the Columbus deal. Why don't you take Max Domi? Gavin Bayreuther's right there. He... Gets taken, goes right back to Columbus. Max Domi's there. Look at what he went for. You would have gotten more for dealing Max Domi. Like I, it's, just, I, I do not understand. <laughs> but in terms of this deadline, did they do well based off of where they set themselves up to go? Yes, they did. It's backwards Vegas. That, that <laughs> that's essentially it, right? It's backwards yeah. Vegas. They, I mean, I was definitely of. Uh, either the majority or the minority, depending on how you look at it, that I really wanted Seattle to just go all in full on nuclear in the expansion draft and just get whoever they could and somehow fit in under the cap, whether it was James Van Riemsdyk or Carey Price, Tarasenko, whoever yeah. you want, just go out and do it. And mm-hmm. it was just such an underwhelming thing. And now that they've got a bajillion draft picks out of it, do they just bolster the farm system when they go to Palm Springs? Do they use those picks to get surefire talent? Because you're going to be in the running for Shane Wright. So yeah. what is the plan here, I guess, for Ron Francis? That's that's my biggest question. It might work out, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of it <laughs> at all. Uh, speaking of not knowing what to make of it, the St. Louis Blues, their only move was that Nick Letty acquisition... I mean, they have all their picks. You could have dealt David Perron if you wanted to. Uh, he was pretty much the only guy that you could really look to move. Uh, the Blues are currently in the first wild card spot in the West. So again, we talked about it. What do you, what exactly do you do? Uh, but I do not see how Nick Letty is the guy to really bolster that defense because that was the idea. Oh, he'll come into Detroit and kind of help stabilize things and I mean he has 16 points in 55 games but you know in terms of like oh he can be a play driver it's like are Krug and Falk already not doing that to a good enough extent like I I don't know I don't know this was a very weird move I don't know what to make of St. Louis at all right now yeah neither do I and especially with their goaltending I think that's that's another big thing it's like do you really want to commit to Jordan Bennington right now, or do you really trust what Billy Huso's doing right now and kind of go, you know, tit for tat with that. So I, I was kind of surprised they didn't make like another move to get like another middle six guy, at least a guy that you can 
put the puck in the back of the net. I, I, I firmly believe that if they were going to move David Perron, it would have been shocking. I feel like he'll retire there at this point. So mm-hmm. I, I think he'll eventually get another deal there. So yeah, St. Louis is weird. They're that, that team where you know that they're going to play well come playoff time, but do they have enough to get it done? I, I don't know. They're, they're a very odd team. And I'll defer to you uh, on this one first, but the Tampa Bay Lightning acquired Brandon Hagel, Nick Paul, Riley Nash. <laughs> How frustrating is it, especially when we know that odds are one of our two favorite teams gets to play the Tampa Bay Lightning, gets the honor of losing to the Tampa Bay Lightning in round one. I mean, this, again, like, why not go for it if you're them? Like, someone like Andre Palat's probably out the door at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're so, they have a legitimate chance at a three-peat. Yeah. Legitimate. And that is horrifying. Like, the fact that they're going all in, significant, like, significant, whatever the fucking word is. I can't even speak right now. I'm just so, I'm exhausted. It, 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 it's significant. There we go. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, the, their their status of being, like, that. Go to a franchise. I, I said when you're uh, on when you're streaming yesterday that if they do get another cup, that that's a dynasty right there. Like they're a borderline dynasty right now with how they're playing and whatever they've been able to do with like an asterisk, whatever with the cap situation. Now everyone's doing it. Like I think one of the comments about Ken Hughes uh, on the phone was like, "Oh, so now everyone cares about the cap, huh?" When they had <laughs> meetings about like the cap situation and everything. Now everyone's using LTIR. Um, I mean, y'all agreed to it. There was only like two teams that didn't agree to it, and even and they even use the LTIR stuff now. Uh, but now everyone does it, so you know it's it's fine. Take take a midseason surgery; it's okay. It's all cool. Um, back back to back to Tampa. Big acquisitions just to <coughs> get the depth up a little bit on their team, and they have like what they only have like their first round, and they have like a, a fourth from. Uh, they have. Yeah, so they have their first, a fourth from Chicago, no second or third round pick this year, yeah. missing their first and second next year, and their first in 2024. I mean, granted, with the that talent they have and the development they're having right now, they don't even <coughs> they don't even need it. Honestly, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly run to the washroom, uh, run to the, the kitchen and get some water. We'll save I, Toronto <laughs> for last. Don't worry, we'll 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 get up to Toronto for when you're here. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Beer, Danny. Yeah. Uh, Tampa. Tampa. I mean, what what can even be said? I, I I think I said this to Darren Millard the other day. It's that time of the year where the Tampa Bay Lightning just go, we don't care what we have, and we're just going to go out and just poach whatever player we think is going to fit in that middle six and just go for it. And oh, I mean, it goes back to what? A few years ago when they got Blake Coleman, mm-hmm. and then last year... Who did they go good out? Drill. Okay, good drink. Yeah. And then they go out and get all of these pieces that they can just slide right into their lineup. Mm-hmm. And they still have seven draft picks this year. They have a full slate of seven draft picks. Even if you don't have a third and a fourth, you you have enough to like still replenish your your stock cabinet here. You're, it, it's just crazy. What Tampa Bay has been able to do. They're forwards. Palat, Point, Sorelli, Kaloran, Stamkos, Kucherov, Paul, Colton, Hagel, Maroon, Belmar, Perry. 
That is unfair. It's a video game. It is. A, it is a video game. That is very unfair. And God bless either Boston or Toronto that have to play those guys in the first round. It is. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, even though Endo's back, we'll still save Toronto for last. So we'll skip ahead to Vancouver. Uh, they got rid of Hamannick for a third. They picked up Dermot for a third, so kind of evens out and is an improvement outright. Uh, and dealt Tyler Mott for a fourth. Um, they didn't go full fire sale. They obviously didn't add, which I think is a smart move. And in terms of fire selling, there really wasn't too much. They also claimed Brad Richardson on waivers. So uh, honestly, not bad. I, you know, they might make it, they might not, but I think it was kind of the smart move. Like any, there wasn't going to be this kind of short term movement. I think like all eyes are kind of on Brock Besser as an RFA, but that does really seem like an off season move. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, they're, they're another one of those teams where they're kind of exceeding expectations under Boudreaux and you kind of just roll with it. And if, if they make the playoffs great, they probably won't last long, but at least, you know, you've got something rolling with this group with Boudreaux if you can kind of string this season over to next. So, yeah, I didn't expect them to add too much or if any at all, so I'd say it was fine. Washington acquired Marcus Johansson and Johan Larson for a total of Daniel Sprong, a third, fourth, and sixth. Um, I look at Washington still, and I still see a team that could win a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, uh, actually, before we went to Washington, <clears throat> I looked at the reason why uh, Hamannick was like viewed as a like a oh yeah uh, good thing now, he's gone. Fi- now d- to avoid slander, is this an official thing or a rumored thing on like a Twitter or Reddit? This <laughs> is an actual like statement that was released. This is from like Canucks Army. It was related on several articles as well. Uh, okay. To quote, uh, where is the exact quote that I found it? Uh, where was it? Can't remember where it was. Uh, I'll, I'll get back to you in that. a second. Yeah, no, it says Mark <laughs> Mathot on Hamannick. I can say this and know lots of players. All of them have told me that new acquisition is a bit of a different bird. Not sure what that's, that's what I'd want around a young core. So he's had some interesting, interesting things. He's, he's an interesting guy, apparently. There you go. You, I mean, hey, for Ottawa, uh, interesting equals a third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Yep. Um, and then before we get to Toronto to cap this off, because Lord mm-hmm. knows Endo and I talked about the Leafs a ton last show. And Danny, again, a big thank you even before the end of the show for just being willing to stick around on this. I Absolutely. felt bad for taking up too much of your time. No, but, you're um, good. You're good. Uh, Winnipeg. Let's see. <laughs> God, Winnipeg. Uh, they reacquired Mason Appleton, who they lost in the expansion draft for a fourth. Uh, dealt Beaulieu to Pittsburgh. Um, again, dealt Nathan Smith to get rid of Brian Little. Got a fourth round pick back for that. Got a decent little haul there for Andrew Kopp. I do like Morgan Barron as a prospect. Uh, and then, you know, again, shuffled some deck chairs. Oddly brought in Zach Sanford for a fifth. Um, yeah, I, I kind of view the Jets as another one of those teams where, you know, maybe could have looked at moving Stashney. You don't have PLD signed yet, but there really wasn't going to be too much that they do. They're not that, you know... Uh, I can't think of the right word. The word escaped me. But they're not in that bad of a situation, basically, in terms of draft picks. They did They did fine. Yeah. They were fine. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Appleton helps them as far as, like, driving the play on that third line, which I know they desperately needed, um, and get him back for essentially offsetting what they lost him for in the expansion draft, I think was fine. They're going to have a really interesting offseason. 
And, and I'm very intrigued at how they handled the Dubois thing. And I think I had seen something about Shifley and Hellebuck and their futures. I'm I'm interested to see what they do as far as mm. constructing the team going forward. I think they're where Calgary was. Yeah. And you got to make that decision <laughs> on what exactly you're going to do. To end this podcast, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, acquired future considerations for Alex Biega. A third round pick in exchange for Travis Dermott and sent two seconds and a third to Seattle for Colin Blackwell and Mark Giordano and most importantly locked down Curtis Douglas for a deal that starts next year. <laughs> that was the most I know how to push thing. Endo's buttons, folks. So um I said originally when there was a when he got into a fight with uh, I think it was Stefan Matteo. Um, the other day in the AHL, playing with the Marlies against the Chicago Wolves, and I said, "Oh, people I, I was, uh, actually th- to correct you because I'm a dick. Uh, I think it was Celio Mateos. Whatever, still. fuck <laughs> French ass names. Yeah, we got the <laughs> you got the S and the M right. Yeah, of course I did. Um, yeah, uh, probably I just tried to put extra French twang on it, but I, I didn't need any French twang, so it's probably what, what fucked me up. Um, but yeah, they got into a fight. Everyone's seeing the call him up, have him play with the big boys. And I'm like, he's not like, they're just going to bring a guy because he threw, threw fists at people who just want to make a, make it in the, uh, make it out of the always hungry league and go play in the big league. Like they call him up and do that. And then they sign him to a entry level deer entry level deal uh, as of next, that goes active with next season. And I completely ate my words, completely ate my words. (laughs) Endo, if there's one thing we learned during this deadline, and I think Danny can attest to this. Big. Big. Big will always have value. Big. Ben Sherratt. Uh, Curtis Douglas is six foot nine, two hundred and forty-eight pounds. Nice. <laughs> big will big. always get an opportunity. He's a big boy I mean, like you he... can park in front of the net and just go wild. Yeah, I mean, he does. He did do a lot of work with uh, Barb Underhill, who is a like skating mogul, and has been doing a lot of work with a bunch of people. Couldn't do the same work for Brazil, but uh, you know, I guess Douglas, it's working out pretty fine. I mean, he's got an ELC now, um, got like twenty six points in forty seven games in the A, which isn't that bad. Wow. Really. Yeah, for a big boy yeah. too. Hmm. Like, so the big move, obviously, for the Leafs on the main roster. I just wanted to get that little that little dig at you for for Curtis Douglas. Yeah. It's Mark like, look, Giordano. Listening on the middle finger too. For people who are listening, I'm flipping Tuki off right now. This isn't for you, Danny. This is directly for Tuki. I swear to God, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive down the main right to your house just to flip you off and then drive right back. I swear to God, I'll make Polina do it too. I'll get her a visa just so that we can go over there and just flip you off and go right back. There you go. I look forward to it. Um, Fuck you. <laughs> obviously. You know, for the Leafs, there wasn't going to be too much you could do forward-wise, even if you wanted to kind of shuffle some things up there. They go for Giordano to shore up the defense, and they don't address the goaltending situation whatsoever, aside from putting Peter Morazic on waivers, which he, of course, cleared. And know how are you feeling about the Leafs? How have I been the whole entire year? I call it when I see it. When I get out of the first round, I'm going to have a fucking party. I'm gonna go on stream. I'll 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 be wild. Have beer. I'll have like a like a champagne shower. Just going all over the place at the rooftop and everything. I'll go live from my jacuzzi on top of my condo, which is like which just opened up this weekend. So I'm gonna be there a lot and just go go wild. 
Uh, no, but realistically, I think this team can do something, but it's just incompetence and just not showing up when they have to. Uh, I, I keep going back to um, the game uh, back when I watched them play the uh, the, the, the Yotes. Uh, I think it was like two weeks ago now um, when Morassic absolutely was a goddamn pool noodle had to put in children in that and they played solid. They they generally did. Uh, that team doesn't have any faith in Peter Morazic in the same way that they had no faith in Michael Hutchison in the same way they lost their faith for Freddie Anderson in the same way they lost their faith for James Reimer for the same way they lost their faith in the uh, was it Jonathan Bernier in the same way they lost. Their, yeah, I can go on forever about this, but generally this team needs to figure out like who they are because they've been having an identity crisis ever since Matt Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner have gotten on this team. And until they really figure out what that is, because it seems like every night it's Austin carrying all the weight. And then whenever he's gone, everyone starts to pick up because what it was gone for those two games. They played great. They generally played good, good hockey. And then he comes back and everyone just go back to the lazy lackadaisy self. And I think that's an issue that they have to address internally maybe bringing uh blackwell and giordano would help out a lot it does help out on defense but i don't think it's enough to do a massive cup run until this team retools and figures out like like how to play for each other and not to wait till the one guy to do all the work that goaltending man yeah like i how do you not address that like, I, I, I highly doubt that, well, not that I highly doubt, the thought of Marc-Andre Fleury saying, yeah, I'll go to Toronto, probably wasn't on top of his wish list. Mm-hmm. But man alive, you not only wave Peter Morazic, who you entrusted to be, I mean, not close to Jack Campbell, but you entrusted him to be like, okay, this is like a one for one for Freddie Anderson. Like you, you kind of entrusted in that situation. You wave him, you sign the goalie that you got from Finland and from the KHL and you put him on waivers. And of course, Arizona was going to claim him. Why wouldn't Arizona want to claim anybody that goes through waivers at this point? Like that, that, that whole situation just boggles my mind. I mean, Giordano, if he is engaged and is willing to play for a for a playoff team, good on you. Is it a winning piece? I don't know. They're, Toronto just irks me. Not not the actual city or the actual team, but just Toronto's decision making just irks me. And uh, it's kind of what we thought would be the case for both of us, right? We talked about it leading up to the deadline. Are we going to feel any better after the deadline? Probably not. No. And now here we are, still just kind of stuck in the same limbo. Because I mean, you, everyone you're more around depressed both. than anything. I'm just kind of like, I knew nothing was going to happen. Like, I think the I had salt, hopes you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the salt on the wound was them picking up Zateri off of uh, waivers. I had a feeling it was going to happen, especially because of the whole um, grabbing Carter Hutton and future considerations. Now we can't even pick him up. It would have to be him to go up and then get back down again for us to grab him off of waivers which would be absolutely hilarious but i don't think it's going to happen so uh, now the leaves are going to have to run children um can't run wall so guess who we got to call up 
It's either Carter Hutton or Michael Hutchison. Near playoff hero Michael Hutchinson from the bubble. For the Colorado Avalanche, playoff hero Michael Hutchison. I, I would not be surprised if they call up Hutton instead and said, no, we're gonna we're gonna we're just gonna keep it down there. Because they've said he's a great guy. Like they've said like Michael Hutchinson is a great individual player, like a person, but just they just can't win with him. With the Leafs. Like I said, they they've lost faith in their in their goaltenders if they're not Shilgren and if they're not Wall. Because they played they played great. I mean, granted, Wall got absolutely shit canned against um, Nashville, but then again, that leave team did not show up defensively. Guys, this was a monster of a podcast, um, but worthy. I mean, again, I think you know you kind of look at the undertaking of talking about most of the teams, and you know it's it's bound to happen. But I thank you both greatly. Uh, for being here today, Danny, especially again. I mean, Endo takes time out of his week always to deal with my nonsense, but Danny, I thank you for doing so uh, here today. Absolutely. Feel free again, tell everybody where they can find you, what you've been up to, and uh, how they can follow along with uh, <laughs> you and the Vegas Golden Knights for the rest of the season. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. You can find all of my work on LasVegasSun.com. And you can probably find me on Twitter trying to figure out if Evgeny Dodonov is going to be a Vegas Golden Knight by the end of the day or if he's going to be an Still Anaheim no Duck. I don't know. And you could probably catch me sneaking onto Toogie's streams every once in a while because, you know what, it's good background noise. <laughs> At the, hey, I'll take that. You know, for a lot of people, they'd view that as a as a backhanded compliment. Oh, that is no, a compliment. That was not. I, I'm, there are times where I'm working up until 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, and the fact that you're a night owl, it helps. So, yeah. There you go. Endo Mills, what do you got going on, buddy, aside from trying not to... <laughs> like, the Leafs have been the least of your concerns, essentially. Yeah. They've been the least of my concerns, but somehow I always end up talking about them more than anything else. Um, <clears throat> things are going. Things are like besides the whole like COVID thing, but like is it's going it's going well. Uh, just started this new business program and things are going swimmingly. A lot of networking in these people, and um, I, I like it. Uh, in terms of streams, I think I'm going to be doing a lot of morning streams for a while. Like a lot, a lot of morning streams. I was up at like nine eight. I was up at like. I had to work at like 10, so I was up at like 7 a.m. playing Fortnite. Absolutely being terrible at Fortnite because they have the no build mode, and I've never played Fortnite in my life. I haven't played Fortnite in a Fortnite, so yeah. Shut up, Tugi. You know how many jokes you made in here and I have to pity laugh to make you feel better? A lot. <sighs> a lot of them. Yeah. There's a lot of ego stroking on this podcast, like you mentioned, so it's perfectly fine. Um, everybody, again, thank you very much if you made it through this monster of a show. We'll be back this Friday. Myself, Endo, and Mr. Sin for the win. We'll get some of Sin's thoughts and uh, see what kind of craziness happens. Maybe by Friday we'll know if Evgeny Dodonov's a member of the Anaheim Ducks. <laughs> if we're lucky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> again, everywhere at Tookie24. Big shout out to Manscaped. Just go to get Check out, as always. Again, a big thank you to, of course, Edna Mills, but Danny Webster for joining us here. And Danny will certainly have to have you back at some point uh, once we get a little bit more clarity on what happens at Vegas and whether or not they're a, a playoff team or not. Sounds good. Uh, perfect. Everybody, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.